0: Shut up and sit down. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight we're going to talk about fandom siloing of authors and how that works out. Consider this part of our ongoing group therapy session related to fandom. Jilly has the question that started that spawned this podcast and she's
1: going to read it out loud started in the writing server and somebody asked um, do you ever get almost like an imposter syndrome about some of your work depending upon what fandom it's in fandom shouldn't matter I recognize that intellectually but I still get moments of an author is more legitimate because they write in fandoms like Harry Potter Stargate NCIS or something as though live action shows or a novel series for source material makes a difference intellectually I know fandom is fandom and some aren't more respectable than others but it still requires a bit more more of a pep talk to myself when I focus on, for example, anime fandoms. Does anyone else also experience that weird disconnect where all fandoms or are all fandoms equal in your head? It's almost a bias against my own work, which is why I mentioned imposter syndrome a bit. Is it only me or is this a common occurrence in your relationship with your craft? I don't think it, there's I think there's two there's two different things. Well three three I guess three different things. Um, There's this imposter syndrome is something that can happen to people. Um, And we could talk about that a little bit later, but I think that's probably the lesser of the three things that's probably going on with a lot of people. Um, But um, one of the things that, I think happens is there's inad- people sometimes feel that the fandom or the thing that they want to be involved in is inadequate, that there's an inadequacy thing, like the, what they're wanting to do isn't enough. And then you can get that around their fandom or their tropes or the things I like aren't interesting enough or whatever. But the other thing that happens is it also comes from the other direction, is there is this internalized stuff that we kind of tell ourselves. Sometimes like what I'm interested in or what I like is not refined enough. It's not interesting enough. It's not highbrow enough, whatever. But the other side of it is the stuff that comes at you from fandom telling you that you, what you're doing isn't good enough. And oftentimes some of that internal inadequacy feelings come from the stuff we haven't even realized we've picked up from fandom over the years. Um, I remember many 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 moons ago um when i you know when i was sort of like like teasing around the edges of the lord of the rings fandom a little bit mm. and um that is a fandom at that time i don't know it, it's sometimes i think that it's probably still a little bit this way to some degree but as fandom sort of decentralizes you know then you kind of um or sort of de-silos uh, and things become more um spread out you have uh, le- a little less of this, which was this whole superiority complex in the Lord of the Rings fandom. It was like, we're the best um, you have to, and you have to meet a certain bar. Or we're not going to consider you a legitimate Lord of the Rings writer. You, know? um, you have to have read like all supplemental works. You have to be able to engage in a lengthy and thoughtful discourse about them. Um, you have to have opinions that we consider to be um, valid opinions about uh these supplemental works and so on and so on and so forth. And it was a whole thing. And um, so not only might you not be good enough, like even if you were interested in writing in Lord of the Rings, which was the highbrow fandom in their mind, um, even even if you were, so your fandom, you were like whatever fandom you were writing in already wasn't good enough as far as they were concerned. Um, But the other side of it was, even if you were interested in writing in Lord of the Rings, there was a chance you weren't going to be good enough in their mind to write Lord of the Rings or your interpretation or what's your desire, the tropes you want to write in and Lord of the Rings wouldn't meet the standards that they had. And there was this whole kind of, it was almost like a punching down kind of vibe about it. That was really, really ugly. And I think that there is that vibe sometimes in from, from certain segments of fandom still Uh, like, like somebody says in the chat about gatekeepers and trying to control what, the fandom norms are, or try to tell people what their fandom experience should be, or what kind of things they should write, or what pairings they should be interested in. And whether we intend to or not, we can re- internalize some of that. And even if we kind of blow it off as, oh, that's nonsense, you have no no business telling me what I can or cannot like but then we go to start writing and those voices are rattling around in the back of your head. And without you even realizing why it kind of comes out as, um, this insecurity of, well, is my writing good enough because I'm writing in, in this example, an anime or maybe in a, um, young adults fandom, as opposed to writing in a, you know, something deep dystopian and angsty. Um, so I think that those are the three. And then, and then there is, sometimes there is actually an imposter syndrome thing. Although from what I read in the ongoing thread, I do feel like this was more of a, like an internalized thing um, of a insecurity and that was internalized from voices in fandom as opposed to an actual imposter thing. But we can talk about imposter syndrome later.
0: One of my very first experiences in fandom um, involved the Sentinel. Where I violated what people considered to be, what they wanted to be the norm for characterization for Blair Sandberg. And ruined their Light My Fire awards. the Last year they had it. And I got uh, harassed privately and email just privately. um, And told that I cheated in the awards because all my Stargate fans went and voted for me in this Sentinel award thing. And I was like, so they're not sentinel fans if they're stargate fans because there's honestly a lot of crossover between that on those two fandoms for some weird reason um even before the whole sentinels are known thing was a thing there was a lot of crossover um as far as like fandom goes like fans liking both shows uh and i remember being really startled by it that there was apparently this um that people felt like they could police my fan fiction. And I'm like. Bitch are you paying me? And of course you know. I was like fuck it. I'm not going to write it anymore. And I and I went. And I just. I went whole hog on Stargate for a long time. Um, and then I wrote a Stargate Sentinel crossover. To kind of get that Sentinel fix. That I had developed. And it went from there. And it was just like. Why are you like this? What is this? And what happened. I think in the Sentinel fandom. Is that attitude. Sort of killed it. There are fandoms older than the Sentinel that are still thriving, and the Sentinel doesn't. It's still here. We still get new works occasionally, but not like, not, not, not like we could have. And it's like, why'd you do that? Why did you invest so much time in gatekeeping and alienating writers who were entering into your dying fandom, your stagnating fandom, to the point where they didn't want to participate? And then act surprised when they don't participate.
1: Right. I was like, how come nobody's writing Sentinel? Maybe because you guys gatekeep people out of having any interest in it. You know, they just, you shut the door in their face. What'd you expect? Yeah. And it was like,
0: there was this group of people who said, okay, you're going to do it this way. You're going to write this character this way. And you're going to write this character this way. And if you don't do it exactly this way, you are wrong and terrible and ruining our joy. And we have to tell you about yourself. Now, one of the most infamous, for me, in my mind, moments in the NCIS fandom when this happened would be Mika. Oh, yeah. Mika. 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 Because she wrote an alternate version of Tony Donozo, who was a Navy SEAL. And people lost their fucking minds. They could not leave her alone. She left AO3, started her own website to avoid them. They followed her. To continue to harass her about something she was doing for free. Motherfuckers, she was doing this for free. Bri, you can't read it because she left. They ran her completely out of fandom. Because she was doing something they did not agree with and could not abide. Not even when she took it out of their face put it on her own website. They followed her.
1: They followed and her and like, continued to harass her. It was just it was so absurd. It was just so absurd.
0: Because she wouldn't do what they wanted. She wouldn't write what they wanted. The other side of that would be in the Hobbit fandom for the Joy. Who got plagiarized. And then got vilified. By the plagiarizer's fans. Because she complained about it.
1: Yeah. And then she decided that she was going to stop working on the story because she, I mean, had this plagiarism debacle had sort of ruined her, her love of her own work. So she had basically said, I'm not going to be working on the story anymore. Well, then the plagiarizer who had been defending themselves up to this point was like, oh, oh, gee, this scandal um, has sort of ruined my love for this work now. So I'm going to stop working on it too. Well, what was really happening was without, without further joy, working on her story, the plagiarizer had no story to copy. So the fans went after For the Joy even harder because the, the plagiarizer, the person copying her um, had Had lost their material, had no new material with which to finish their ripoff story. Now we call it, this wasn't, this wasn't, this was not a direct, we say, we say plagiarism, but this wasn't plagiarism in the most literal sense in the sense that um, it wasn't against AO3's terms of service, but what this person was doing was for the joy would put up a a chapter and this person would take it and basically paraphrase it is basically what they were doing Um, under copyright law. It'd probably be pretty questionable. um, If someone's basically Mirroring your story structure that literally, there'd probably some room in copyright law for copyright infringement, but it's not direct plagiarism. So, in any case, um, it um, it was that's what that's what happened. So, when Joy refused to work on the story anymore, the person who was paraphrasing her work had no way to finish the story because she hasn't got a creative bone in her body. So she claimed it was because, oh, this has all just upset me too much. I'm not going to be able to keep working on the story. So the fan, the people who happened to like her paraphrasing better, went after For the Joy as if For the Joy had done something wrong. Infuriating. So, but you know, when you see these things happen, whether you intend it to or not, when you hear the people say things or people say something negative about anime, um, whether you intend to or not it this stuff is is there it's in the back of your head and sometimes i'm surprised by like i'm have like i'll have like a resistance to something and um i won't it'll take me a while to tease out what i've heard or what fandom voice is affecting me and i'll be like oh man i know that's bullshit i knew it was bullshit when i heard it but it's still rattling around back there in the back of my head and you kind of you can be affected by things without even really consciously being aware of it um no, no, the that that was that was scrubbed fanfiction. It wasn't it wasn't um that that wasn't paraphrased. That wasn't paraphrased fanfiction. That was an author who scrubbed their own fanfiction. Sorry, there's there's a something going on in the chat that I'm just addressing too. Um fan but there's is-
0: also something else with that. I mean, like it was scrubbed Harry Potter fanfiction, but there was also elements that were taken from a commercial work that appeared in the new commercial work that caused a copyright infringement um legal snafu. Um to do with um anyways I wanted to talk about it out loud because that particular person is not the author I just said, but the author of the scrub fanfiction is particularly litigious. So <laughs> I don't yeah. want to mention her name on the podcast.
1: <laughs> um anyway, um so when you and I Some people like I have when it comes to like some fandoms. I remember I'll come back to that in a second, but I remember when I was writing in X Files. So the first Harry Potter book came out in 1997, and I was writing. I started, well, I started writing in X Files before, but I started really posting strongly a lot in X Files probably around I don't remember exactly, it was sometime in '99. I have to go check that up to double check the date. Um. 99. I know, I've got the date somewhere. I've got the date. I know, I know exactly when I started start somewhere, but I think it's sometime in 99. It might have been 98. Um, but I remember, like, there was this mass exodus at one point in 2001-ish, 2002, maybe. Um, let me see when the book publication dates were. I think it was around 2000, 2000. So uh, it would probably be sometime between Harry Potter, between the Goblet of Fire and the Order of the Phoenix, sometime between those two books. There was a, like a mass exodus from X-Files t- to Harry Potter. Now, I didn't have any exposure to Harry Potter at this point. Um, in my head, I hadn't I hadn't read it. I hadn't heard much about it. It was, to me, So I had seen the first couple books come out. I'd heard about them. It was a kid's book series in my mind. So it was way off my radar um and so i start hearing about this um right i said be- between between order of the phoenix and and goblet of fire not not after goblet of the fire um and not, i mean not after order of the phoenix um so between the two between it was between those two books is when the big exodus happened and um that
0: must have been so confusing <laughs> i
1: i was i was befuddled right i had no idea what was going on with this book series i i was um and my first real exposure to um to the Harry Potter books was actually order of the phoenix but that was a whole that's a whole different story and that's through my younger siblings but um I was so confused I was like why are all these writers and m- m- most of the x-files writers x-files was a fairly mature fandom right um it was a very also very dark fandom um so I was like why are these all going off to write a, a kid's book and I mean I didn't like, like say that you know I didn't ask people like out, out there but I wondered like why are they going off to write fandom in a kids book what are they What what is it about the series that is capturing the attention of and initially I was like is it because it's been so dark and awful over here for so long in the X-Files <laughs> fandom that
0: they're I off there
1: that they're off to to be um, you know in, in light and fluffy kid land in, in, in you know wizard school kind of thing not knowing at all what, what, what was really going on in Harry Potter. Um, so, and I, I wondered about that. I was talking to a, f- a friend of mine one day and I mean, she had read Harry Potter and didn't like it. So I didn't know anything about it. And I thought that I, to me, like I said, I thought it was kids, kids books, but she had read it and didn't like it. And her, her, she was so judgmental about people going to go write in Harry Potter fandom, and I she was scathing—not just to me, but she was scathing in her attitude about it publicly about people writing in Harry Potter, and that she just thought nothing anymore of people who um, of their writing if somebody would abandon actually adult actual adult writing to go and write in a in I don't remember what she said. She I do remember dropping actual adult writing to go write in some kid's fantasy series or something like that. But it was it was brutal um what she was putting out there. And I don't know why she was so angry, why she was so hostile. Maybe she thought she could intimidate some people that she liked into staying. Um to write X you do that by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you if you do manage to strong arm or intimidate somebody into doing what you want, they're going to resent you for it. So, um so so yeah. Um it but i i remember like i i didn't for a long time i didn't get it 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 didn't like it didn't connect in my brain but it wasn't like i didn't i didn't have a like a i didn't judge it i didn't think that uh, people were doing it. i just didn't understand i didn't i couldn't make the connection between the x files and and um and to me what seemed like ki- what kids books except except as the only thing i could rationalize it with at that time um right and the thing is what i did not know because you know i one of one of the ladies i had i who i had read a lot of her work i read the harry potter her harry potter story or tried to read it without knowing anything about harry potter and i it was this dark dystopian mess i was like oh my god you didn't leave the x files for something lighter and brighter you went for something darker oh my god (laughs) the body autonomy issues in the x files were enough for you (laughs)
0: you had to go to a fandom full of magic and spells
1: and potions that can fuck everybody up. Great job. Great job. But okay. So that was, that was a whole different thing. Um, But there were, and and it became, there became this kind of like this divide, uh, you know, this, this sort of toxic fandom thing that was happening for a while on, on Yahoo groups with people who were really angry about the number of people who were going to write X to write Harry Potter. And they said a bunch of things. I would. I hope that as time has gone on, they've regretted saying those things, <laughs> but maybe not. Um, but it is it's something that you see happen. And I'm sure that. The, and the thing. Now, here's the thing: is that the, uh, I think that a lot of those writers who left to go write in Harry Potter were seasoned, seasoned, mature writers, and they're probably double birding the people who were saying these shitty things on their way out the door. But for those who were more, you know, less experienced or who were more um, easily influenced, that might have really kind of stuck with them. Feeling like that they, because it it, it was presented like you're downgrading your fandom was basically the way it was. The attitude was, why would you downgrade your fandom? and that's just that's just that's just butt ugly behavior. That is just butt ugly. And what that is, is that is about people, it wasn't even writers speaking to other writers. That was just but ugly entitled behavior of I don't want people that I like to stop writing in the fandom that I want them to write in. And when people lash out about stuff like that, um we just, I think you just gotta learn to 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 not listen. You gotta not learn you gotta not listen to people um telling you what box you should be in as the title of the podcast says fuck the box it's
0: so yesterday we did a podcast called leaning into Nine One One and i posted notification on twitter and on facebook and we did our five and a half hour podcast last night uh, it wasn't actually that long four four hours four and a half four and a half i think four and a half um and um Looking forward to editing that shit. Uh, And it's. um, So I opened up my email this morning. And there was a whole bunch of junk in there. And then in the midst of it. There was a contact form. And in this contact form. um, Now whenever I get a contact form lately. I'm like you fucker. I mean I just. I just immediately I think you fucker. Before I even open it. Because I'm pretty sure it's going to be terrible. Right. And so I open it. And the first word was sigh. S-I-G-H period. I didn't listen to your podcast last night because I'm not on Discord, okay. but I really don't like the fact that you keep finding new fandoms. Why can't you just write Harry Potter? Oh,
1: figures, it's a Harry Potter fan.
0: So I looked at it for a second and then just hit delete on my website, and it's still in my email box. Um, but yeah, you know, delete. Um, it's a common theme. Whenever I pick up something new or I pick up a new pairing or um <laughs> oddly, one of the most vicious emails I ever got regarding regarding pairing happened because of ties that bind. So around the it was about the episode featuring Evan and Matt on Earth. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly, Mary Jane. Um and so This person was furious. Absolutely 100% furious because she'd seen the notification go out and it said Evan Lawrence slash OMC. And how dare I destroy her favorite pairing. And she just went, the fuck off on me without reading this. Without reading this. And it ends it with, and I just can't believe, who's going to be paired with Matt now? Wow. I responded with one sentence. Matthew Shepard is an original character. And that's all I said. And I never got another email from her again. Because that story was actually about Evan and Matt. But Matt is not a canon character. So I always list him as an OMC. Original male character. So I got this ugly vicious email for appropriately tagging my fic. How dare you. Right? Just furious. She was just furious. I had ruined... I had ruined the whole series for her. I assume she went back and read the story. I don't know. I don't actually care. Um, Now, normally when someone makes that mistake, they're a little whiny about it. But what about that? You know, it's all whiny and shit. Not like nuclear in my mailbox. I'm like, did you just light a cigarette? Did that sound like a cigarette to anybody else, or like a lighter? Oh, me? Are you talking about me, Jillian? Are you talking about yes. me? Yes. I opened it my. It sounded pill- like you lit a lighter over there. I opened my pill oh. box.
1: I was like, I thought the what, what are you doing over there?" I opened my pill box. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking pills, <laughs> which apparently sounds like a lighter. It did. I wasn't the only one who thought so.
0: <laughs> I think she puts I I think her um her preferred is consumable on
1: that medicinal purposes. hmm Yeah. The medicinal stuff I definitely prefer consumable. I'm not interested in torching my lungs. <laughs> but it did sound like a bit lighter to me. It was like I use a <laughs> was I use, really use startling. The- my 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 pill container is locking, you know. Uh huh. So I am. Um, it's a little noisier because um I drop them all the time, and I'm tired. Got tired of picking on my pills up off the floor. I hate that. I hate it. Um. So you were saying about so people are usually whiny about Matt, but this one was just full on, full on nuclear. Yeah, uh, I was about- like,
0: but. I've encountered this multiple times. Because I move around a whole bunch of fandoms. You might have noticed. I don't let anybody put me in a box. Um, you're, you're not boxing Kira. And that's a movie reference. That Briar probably won't get. Um, uh, but. Uh, it's. I wonder how many of you got that. Probably not many. Never mind. Um <laughs> There's a movie called Boxing Helena, which is terrible. You don't want to actually watch it, but it was about that. Okay, so, uh, like, when I first entered Stargate Fandom, I actually shipped Roner and and Jennifer Keller. Um, But then they ruined um, Keller for me step by step, right? And so I moved into McKay Shepard, and people got bent. And then um, it was like, I moved, I, I did some Sentinel work, people got bent. I did some Star Trek work. People got bent. Some people followed me. Moving around to all these different fandoms. Popped a cherry or two. Others got really bent. Picked up Harry Potter. When I posted versus of the Serpent King, y'all. Which was my first Harry Potter story that I ever published. It was met. People were like, awesome. This is, I loved it. And then there were others who were like, why the fuck did you have to start writing Harry Potter? In retrospect, I agree that that was an appropriate question. I asked myself, why the fuck did you start writing Harry Potter? (laughs) But at the time, and then of course I wrote Harry Hermione and this last year got bent. And then I posted, um, when I posted Flight, which was a Harry Draco story set at the end of fourth year, people got bent. When I... Posted about my plans for rough trade this year. I got four or five really ugly emails about my plans. Because why can't it be Harry and Hermione? Yeah,
1: there are some people who are going to look at your choices for your pairing next year. This year. This year. And assume that it is a punishment that you but as if you've never written harry draco before right um it's not a punishment it is my way
0: of coming back into a fandom that i really like and owning it owning my work owning my words because all my words belong to me i have a whole podcast dedicated to that subject yes that will be edited and and put up eventually
1: and it because it's not like the you don't have plenty of precedent with that pairing. But even if you wanted to explore a new pairing, it would make sense because you got a little burned with the fandom. So if you want to explore a new pairing, but I I've noticed that my experience has been that slash readers can get a little huffy when you start writing het. They're like, Oh, come on. But het readers will get really pissed when you start writing slash. If they think that you're a het writer and you start writing slash it, the abuse can get real.
0: But I have more slash on my site than I do het.
1: You do? Because your biggest, you, well, you got ties of beauty. You got two really, you got one really big het series, which is uh, Harry Potter, and the Soulmate Bond. But you've got several big slash series. You got what might have been um, Sentinel Atlanta. Atlantis. Well, Settles, Settles, Sentinel Atlantis is ostensibly both, but certainly your main pairings yeah. are, are slash. Um, and then you've got. Um, Your War Mages. Well, War Mages Trilogy is only the first book, right? Right. So,
0: recently I renamed that because it's not really a trilogy, and people got... I got four or five emails within, like, hours of me editing that page, going, oh my god, where's War Mages? I can't find it. I was like, it's actually under the novel title, that old Black Magic, it's still there. Scroll down. Scroll down. It'll be fine. Because it's not really a trilogy right now, and I I shouldn't have put it up that way. Um, But, I mean, yeah, I have more slash work than I do at work on my site. Um when I start when I wrote Rule 63, people got bent. Now there are some issues around Rule 63. And we can acknowledge that. Uh I enjoy rule 63 from authors I know aren't writing it because they're homophobic. So if I see somebody writing Rule 63 and they have absolutely zero slash in their writing backlist I'm not reading their rule sixty-three because I don't trust it. I'm not saying that all rule sixty-three writers who've never written slash are homophobic. I am saying that people who are or who are homophobic would write rule sixty-three to avoid writing a gay pairing,
1: and for a long time, that's exactly what was going on. I mean, there was a really deep, dark, ugly time in fandom when that's what you were encouraged to do—is to so you didn't have to write, you know. Um, it, it was, and it was very blatant. It was very out in the open. People weren't. Shy I mean, I remember seeing
0: Sentinel fans saying, "You know, Jim and Blair would be a great pairing if Blair was a girl." Yeah,
1: I mean, it's for me. I think because I was exposed to Rule Sixty Three, so initially, like my only exposure to it for like the longest time in fandom was was th- with homophobic through homophobic writers through blatantly homophobic prompts on yahoo groups and stuff um it's became such a hard like trigger for me that you know it took me a while to get past it and be able to read writers who um clearly weren't homophobic who were just doing um who were just trying you know different character work or who just wanted to try or in some cases because of fandom they felt like a fandom needed just more female characters in it um but I will say I've mentioned this on another podcast for myself because this is just a me thing. It has nothing to do with anybody else. That I don't have any problem with writing a het pairing. That it's not about a het pairing. The issue for me is that because I of the, the homophobia trigger because of the, how bad it was when Rule sixty three was a big thing when I was early on in my fandom days. If I write Rule sixty three, it will be a fem slash pairing. It will not be het. That is just the way it would always be. I would never write Rule 63 head. Not, I wouldn't. I've read it and enjoyed it. Dark Serafina has some some lovely Rule 63 stories that I've read and enjoyed. Uh, I enjoy some Akira's Rule. I, well, cause I haven't read all of your Rule 63 because you know, I have a hard stop on Bilbo. Bilbo. But yeah. I've enjoyed this, you know, some of your, I, your other. You Rule were a beta on Home My Coffee. Yeah. So um, it's not about the Rule 63 anymore. It's about I don't want to feel like I'm. Um, in any way contributing to homophobia out there, and for me, when it comes to the writing p- process, if I'm going to write Rule 63, I need to, I need to stay in that 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 gay lane. So it's going to be a fem slash pairing. So I, I, if I was going to write a het pairing, I would like I did with you. Know, it could be Tony Penelope or or whoever, but it's not going to be. You know, if I would not do, I could do Rule 63 Tony with Penelope or Tony with Penelope, but I would not do.
0: I mean, I'm on board with Rule 63. Penelope. If you want to put that on your list of things you I might do. like to do in the year.
1: We, we were talking about we were talking about doing a fem slash thing and I actually had plotted out a little Rule 63 Tony with Penelope.
0: I'm on board this train.
1: <laughs> I thought it would be fun. Um but uh but yeah. So yeah, so we're all I, on board and- this train. <laughs> and get it it a little more because i did do rule 63 the only i think the only rule 63 well no i've done sort of two but one of them isn't really it's 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 weird rule 63 but i did rule 63 of tony with uh cassie yates but that was just like i think a 1k short but i would do a little bit longer story with the penelope thing yeah they said the tony cassie one was is on my site now and then Horseman, so, I, Horse, Horseman for me is technically Rule 63 because Alex Shepard is, is to me, it's a male character. And I did Rule 63 Alex for that story. And put mad. Alex with... with um.
0: When Alex I read Island. that, I thought to myself, why didn't I ever give John a sister? And then I was kind of mad about it. I never gave John a sister. And I think it's because McKay had the sister. I don't know what, I mean... I
1: don't know, it seems like John would have stayed in touch with his family if he had a sister. I don't know why it right? popped into my head. Like, she would have been a little more more proactive or something. I don't, I, mean. I just, yeah, I mean. it just, it seems like the communication issues in that family are male. I mean, that's maybe that's a, maybe that's an asshole thing well, to say, but that's what it feels like.
0: Here's the thing, Natalie. I think if there was a female shepherd, you would want to say, Oh my God, I feel so sorry for John and David because they get away with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> because a female shepherd would have all her daddy's attitude than some. <laughs> she wouldn't need to broaden her lane. She'd have three. <laughs> so what if Patrick Shepard had died and John's mother had lived? Um I don't know. you, you you'd have to think about that I have to think about the circumstances of that. um what would have changed? uh would there be more children? Would there be a stepfather? Um, I often write Patrick single just so I can pair him up when I get him into my story. Uh so what would you do with that? You know, where would you go with that? You need to ask yourself these questions and how does that ripple out? Um, does John respond well to a new man in his mother's life? Does he rebel more? What happens? So you know you have yeah. to ask yourself those kinds of questions when you do a big because that would be a ginormous boulder.
1: Now, see, I would not, I wouldn't rule in John 63. three I wouldn't Rule 63 Patrick. I would just have his mother survive.
0: Wife live. Yeah. Yeah. But even having both parents live would alter the dynamics of their entire family. Would she fight to keep him away from the military? I think it would greatly depend on what kind of family she came from. Um, If she came from a family of military officers, if she was a military officer herself, um, there's no reason to think that she would. Uh, I don't always write Patrick fighting John on the military issue, it depends on the circumstances. I, I like to switch it up, which is why I also don't always make Patrick um misstep when it comes to John's uh being gay, if I write him as gay or bi. Um, because doing that same thing over and over and over again is really boring. And when I did it in um what might have been, it was Not about John's characterization, but about Patrick's and about him adjusting. Because even when I was introducing Patrick, I was already envisioning that scene in February's song where he confronts Rodney about what Rodney almost does. And I'm not going to say it here because it's kind of triggery. And telling Rodney that when he got John back into his life, that John came with McKay and that they were a package deal, and he accepted that. He accepted that he got a new son, and you need to get your shit together because I can't lose you both. And that moment was already in my brain when I was introducing Patrick. So I was like, okay, how, you know, what kind of journey can I put Patrick on? And so that's what that was about um, that choice. Um, It isn't a choice that I would make often because I feel like it's a cliche. To automatically assume a man of that age is going to be homophobic. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So I, mean, so I just I, I wanted to explore that dynamic. Um,
1: a lot of times, I kind of have made some like broad brushstrokes about Patrick, mm-hmm. about how he's going to be. So, like, if I have Patrick and John at odds with each other, I usually have Patrick have not be in the military, about John's career. If mm-hmm. I'm going to have Patrick be supportive of John's career, Patrick's going to be gonna still be active military. He's gonna, usually we, I, we, I do him in the Navy, so I mean, there's some broad brushstrokes I make fairly consistent about him, and then other things are more nuanced. Now, in If Found, um, a lot of Patrick's reason for fighting John in the military is was about goes back to goes back to Alex Alex's kidnapping um, and him just getting really just super overprotective. Um, of his kids after Alex and then subsequently his wife died. So um, he was kind of smothering and he had to learn how to dial that down. It wasn't really about not being, so I kind of like, I'm with you. I can kind of interpret what his dynamic was with it, with them. And then what that means, because it's going to be very different, uh, Patrick, who is smothering and uns- unsupportive in the fact that he was smothering, as opposed to un- you know um, unsupportive because he's disapproving, and that's that's very different. Um, disapproving, um, homophobe is a very different vibe to, you know, loving father who just is trying too hard to keep his son safe. So, and so you do have to work out the the ripples of what that means for your character when you and work also that what row.
0: kind of journey you want to bring your character on. Right. You know, where are the hard spots in the relationship for your for um for, for your two characters? Where does it hurt to push and what does that mean? Um so yeah. You guys are discussing the air that angels breathe. That's that story is a direct result of a piece of art I got from Dances with Gary because Dances with Gary did this art of John with these golden brown wings, and it was beautiful oh god it was gorgeous and I, I responded on live journal and said I love this I would also love to see him with black wings and then she sent me one an image of him with black wings and I was like ah and so I wrote I mean just off the cuff I wrote the air the angel's breathe. I barely even plotted it it was like I had like five or six plot points written down on a piece of paper and and, and then I wrote it because I was just like I was so enthralled yeah, that's the why there never has been fun. a sequel because I really didn't plot
1: anything. <laughs> yeah. I I found with I think uh it was probably it wasn't it wasn't like obviously was, the first few fix I read of yours were like Sentinels of Atlantis, what might have been not what it might have been Sentinels of Atlantis and 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 uh Birth of the Serpent King. So there was a Harry Potter and there was a, a a Stargate story. And then I delved a little bit into some of your shorter works, and I think "Air That Angels breathes was in one of the five first five that I read of your Stargate stories, um, so it was definitely in that first ten stories of yours that I had read.
0: Oh, there's there's something really charming about John in, in that story. Um, he he has a very supportive and loving relationship with his father. He's an only child because the mother left, um, and he you know Patrick set the world on fire to keep his son. Um, and didn't let the government take him when the government was confiscating mutant children left, right and center. Um, and he had the money to fight that. so he did. And he changed how people viewed these children that were mutating. And that rip and that change rippled throughout the world and it changed, you know, it it gave John this this amazing foundation. And I think the moment, and then I realized what I had done with John's characterization is when John and Rodney are on the balcony and um, Rodney said that, you know, you're ruining me for other people. And John says, no, well, no one deserves you more than me anyway. <laughs> and it was like, okay, that, that's the moment because this is a kid, this, this is a John Shepard who, who knows what he wants, knows what he deserves and he's going to get it. It's so, opposite of, of him in canon who's willing to let everybody else have what they want and not get anything that he wants you know and i was just like yeah this is this is what you get from a man who's been raised by who's been raised in an environment where he is safe and secure and loved and given wings both literally and figuratively so there's lots of themes going on in that story that little short story it's just seventy five thousand more It's 7,500 words. (laughs) It's 7,500 words. Um, And so it's a little short fic. Um,
1: It is short. It is is short.
0: I mean, anything under 10K is short for me. No, but no. But it's 7,500 words. I just said it wrong. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Although recently 75K is short. (laughs) I can't. What's wrong with me? (laughs) I got
1: long-winded all of a sudden. I just can't help myself. Typical short stories are 5 to 10 K. So it's right in the, it's right in the lane. Yeah. The quantum, quantum bank.
0: bank.
1: Kind Yeah. Yeah. So so it's Jilly's fault. Okay. What? <laughs> Credit not blame.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I did recently finish, um, Heart of the Lion, for those of you who weren't here when I talked about that earlier. And that's a rule 63 pick, um, with McKay and Shepard. Um, and I, I loved it. I love it. I, I love what I did with it. Um, I love exploring the whole dyad thing and um, shaping the shamanism concept around the sentinel and guide and what that would mean in an urban environment and what it means um, <laughs> and what it means to uh, just, you know, really like just break down a concept and put it into something else, like the dyad concept from Star Wars. And so I really enjoyed that process. Now, when I finished it, I thought to myself, this would have been really interesting if I'd have written it the opposite way. And I was like, because I've written a rule. What, do you, what do you John?
1: Mean? Oh, John being okay. Oh, I see what you mean.
0: And I was like, well, just that would have been really interesting. So the next time I do a Rule 63, I'm probably going to flip it and write Julia instead of narrative. Um Because it kind of is like, yeah, that would be, yeah, yeah. I want to write a badass Julia, just kicking ass, just kicking ass. Um but- I really
1: enjoyed Julia. You're, that little short was a lot of the, your Rule your 63 job was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I just,
0: yeah, but I really enjoyed Heart of the Line and I hope that you guys do, too. Um, it's not going to be edited anytime soon. Um, I have not done my second draft, um, and then I'll have to go to beta, because it's very long, and I don't want to put that up without a beta. Because um, my fibro fo- fog is real. Um, and, but, uh, so probably after Rough Trade for April, not anytime soon. I love Story of a Girl. But one of my favorite femme Johns was actually, he got turned into a girl and didn't want to turn back. And I don't remember the title and it's really, it, it was on race bait. And what stood out for me is everybody was like, what do you mean you don't want to turn back? They were all freaking out. And Sam Carter was like, if John doesn't want to turn back, John doesn't have to. <laughs> she was just like a hundred percent in. Oh, you're not. <laughs> She's like, no, what's wrong with John being a girl? <laughs> It's called Shout It Loud by Melon Butterfly. Is, is is that it, Hellstrom? Go
1: put that link library. got a lot of people in the, in the... It's
0: really tiny. It's just... It is a short fic. It's just 939 words. But it stood out to me because it was just like... It was perfect. I don't often read stuff that short. Um, every once in a while, I'll click on something that little. And I'll be like, oh, well, look, look what you did. You just told me a whole damn story in under a thousand words. And that in itself... That in itself is a um, is a skill, and I know often, like I just said, I don't normally read stuff that short, right? Which is, I think, probably discouraging to say, and I shouldn't say it, um, even though it's true, uh, because being able to write that short is a skill. That uh, that kind of flash fiction is is a is more of a dying art than even the novella form.
1: Yeah, and when you find people who can tell you, who can get you. A story, it tell you something substantive in a thousand or two thousand words. It's like I want to go read all their two thousand words because that's amazing. I can get a lot of story very quickly, um, but more often than not, and one of the reasons, and this is the reason why I don't usually read that word count outside of nine one one, is because right. <laughs> I make some exceptions for because it's kind of the norm. Um, it's because I when I think about what I like to read, those things cannot be usually achieved under ten K. It's it's possible, but it's just not typical. So that's that's why I usually am filtering out stories that are less than ten thousand words because I just in most fandoms <laughs> I have one made me put all these caveats on my searches and stuff. I'm like, well, this is nine one one. So you gotta
0: do what you gotta do.
1: But I mean I think, you know. When it comes to your experience in fandom, as a writer or as a reader, it is about—and and the thing is—it's not even just about fandom. It's about whatever you want to write or whatever you want to read. Is you can't let those little voices telling you—you um, you don't nobody needs to be your gatekeeper. You know the whole. I would like you to read good quality stuff. I mean, that'd be great, just for for, for the sake of your own brain. But that's not even that's not even my lookout. That's your lookout, you know. Um, and by quality, I mean something that's you know not a wall of text, right? <laughs> let's start there. Let's start. With, let's start with there. Let's let's start with the enter button. Let's um, start with the bare minimum. um
0: <laughs> But no, I mean, I want you to read good quality stuff because if you're a writer um if you're constantly bombarding your brain with bad craft it's going to leak in oh yeah you're going to do things like one-sided conversations Kira looking at you looking at myself
1: i and sometimes i after reading i mean there was i went on this kick for a while i i just i wasn't getting enough of what i wanted out of a of a certain trope or fandom or whatever. And I went on this kick of like, I was just reading whatever I could get as opposed to what seemed good. And I wasn't noping out when I really felt like I should. And some really, I was just reading some really, really bad writing. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there one day and I'm looking, like trying to write, and I couldn't remember how to spell. <laughs> like pretty much anything. It was like, just. <laughs> Basic words were just eluding me. I'm like, how is that spelled? Which there does that mean? Is this the one with the apostrophe and sign I was like, holy crap. I've been reading garbage for like a week now. It's rotted my brain. This is what happens. This is what happens. So, you know. It was self-harming behavior, Dark, and I had to stop. I had to give myself a talking to that, you know, it's better to reread the stuff that you find that's good of a certain thing than to just crawl through garbage trying to find more, 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 you know, that's just, I had to set a rule for myself because when I had to actually concentrate on which there I meant, I knew I was in trouble. (laughs) Right? Like, which there do I mean? I don't know. Is this the contraction or not? so but other people's crap and other people will put things on you and i think it's important that you not take it in whether it's about um what fandom you write in or about um now i know somebody once thought that i was judgmental specifically about anime Um, i think i said something about i wouldn't write in anime or something like that on a podcast kind of a flip comment and i wouldn't because i don't watch anime (laughs) that's the why. Um, But one of the reasons I don't read anime, and it's not because I have anything against anime. It has absolutely nothing to do with having it. And it is, I have a hard time with not visualizing real people. So I have a disconnect. It's, it's It's a brain disconnect with the anime characters. I would need to have them fan cast in order to be able to read an anime story. And it has nothing to do with it being an anime fandom. It's just, a, the, I can't look, like if somebody gives me a casting image of a bunch of anime characters, I'm, gonna, I, I'm like, I can't. And it's 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 just a, it's the way my brain works. Not everybody's brain works that way. I am very little. Yeah, Dark points out I am very little. So it's very difficult for me to make a transition in my head with, so like the few times, the funny thing is the first time I had exposure to, <laughs> I didn't even know I was doing this, but I was reading um, a story that was a crossover with Helsing and I did not know that Helsing was an anime, but I didn't care because they told me that Helsing wasn't really relevant to the story. It was a crossover and they explained who the Helsing characters were and all the Helsing characters are fan cast, but I didn't know they were fan casting. And I really enjoyed it and I really liked the Helsing characters, right? So I start reading Helsing. And I didn't look at any images. I did still didn't know it was anime. And then I see some mention about Helsing anime. I'm like, there's Helsing anime too. <laughs> I was just such an idiot about the whole thing. <laughs> I was such an idiot about the whole thing. And then I realized that I start going like digging and realized, no, that this person had just fan cast and fan cast really well on this first story I had read. And from then on, I was able to read Helsing because there were these images in my head that that persisted and allowed me to to read. So, um, but if I had seen just if they, if they'd given me like the, the pictures from my contemporary fandom with pictures of anime characters, my literal brain would not have been able to cope with that. I'd have been like, what am I supposed to do with this?
0: (laughs) I can't handle this. I have a hard time reading in a fandom where I have not, where I don't know the canon. I am not. I mean, I have to go read. I have to go, um, read summaries or something. Um, I have to be told a great deal about the canon, uh, if I haven't watched the canon myself. One of the ways I got through uh, and read some Teen Wolf is that I, um, I read a whole bunch of summaries. And when I entered the Sentinel, the Sentinel TV show wasn't available anywhere, so I read all of the episode summaries, and then I started reading Vic to get a good grasp of just characterization because I think often in fandom genfic is overlooked for that where you get your really the really good meat of characterization in genfic. Uh and so once I had a good foundation I wrote um The Awakening and then I watched the first season of The Sentinel. (laughs) So yeah, I wrote a big giant S novel without ever having um watched the show. So and I've only watched like the first season and then snippets of the rest, because that's all I could find. Um, but when Jilly wrote her first 911, I had to go I I first I tried to read it without context. And her writing's really easy to follow. So I could have read it as a contemporary, like just a contemporary original story and and been okay. Um having read it twice, I know that. But I knew there was something, I I knew there was canon I could know. There was something out there for me to watch. So I had to go binge watch two and a half seasons of the show. And then go read it. I had to.
1: She made me. <laughs> I made you. But a fair number of people have read. A bit. Um, I cried a lot. Yeah. Fair number of people have read the first, the first, the, the Here For You. And they told me that they had no problem following it without knowing anything about the show. But also a fair number of people have now started watching the show, so I think it's very readable either way. Yeah. Um, But a brain quirk for me is I need to know more about it. So if I
0: hadn't been able to watch the show, I would have had to go read the summaries on Wikipedia.
1: Yeah. So we sometimes people have um, like little little quirks in their brains. that makes transitions to certain fandoms difficult. Like some people may not be able to deal with a contemporary fandom crossed with a fantasy fandom. And that's that's fine. It's, not, it's actually not a d- necessarily, it might, they might be judgmental, but it, it's not necessarily that quirk in their brain isn't an indictment in and of itself on fantasy fandoms. It just means that they can't make that transition. Like in my case, if somebody provides a really good fan casting for an anime and I am able to follow it, and it's by an author I like, I will definitely give it a go. And they might suck me in and get me reading um, uh, in a fandom that I'm unfamiliar with. And then if their fan casting is really good, that's probably the images that will stick with me and allow me to keep reading in that fandom, which is what happened with Helsing. But if it's something new to me entirely and, and it's, and like I go to look at the cast and it's all anime characters, I just can't, I can't get there, but it's not a judgment on anime because I think anime is great. Um, But I can see, because I've seen that kind of judgmental attitude that people get um, and how they can be about certain things or how they can be about young adult fandoms. And this is not a unique thing to fandom. I mean, there's like in in original work and professional publishing, there's sort of like in some people's minds, there's like a sort of a caste system, right? And, you know, like, oh, you write romance? Oh, well it's like you're not a real writer if you're writing romance um and i'm sure that there's you know amongst like the sci-fi and the fantasy writers that they probably have some tearing in their own minds about who is the you know who's the top dog or maybe it's the um i don't even know who thinks that they're the best who do you think it thinks that they're the top of the heap in what in original work who thinks that they're the snootiest Oh well, I'm the one who writes. Probably. Oh, um, probably mean like
0: just like a genre. Um, yeah,
1: high fantasy. High fantasy, maybe. Um, no,
0: I would go literature. Oh, okay. Like the great American novel. Have you ever met the great American novelist? I have. Yes, they're awful. They are awful.
1: But the thing is, I don't know what genre the great American novel is. That's just what genre fiction. Of, I mean.
0: I mean, I would put it. You know, grapes of wrath. Catcher in the Rye, yeah, the old man in the sea.
1: So it's just sort of
0: the fucking Lord of the Flies, yeah. Um, I had to tell somebody what says you know you realize you're not Ernest Hemingway, right?
1: Mark Twain. Don't put Mark Twain in that in that lump. But he
0: is. He's <sighs> a white contemporary masculine voice, um and that's what that is. That's that. That's the great American novel. Uh, I think Mark Twain is brilliant was brilliant um evocative fascinating just a writer that would just make you think for days and days and days and days harper lee great american novelist um and do harper lee a favor and don't read the sequel she never wanted that book published she never wanted that book published and it was published a within a year of her death don't read it it's infuriating
1: but so that's sort of the vibe though is great american novel because the, the like the all of these have different genres but so it's basically all genre right. fiction
0: it's it's not um it's not romance science fiction or
1: fantasy so it's the people who write basically in the in the various genres because skill of mockingbird is like courtroom drama for sure um or you could just maybe the higher category be southern gothic maybe southern gothic
0: yeah but um general fiction it would fall under general fiction in a lot of libraries. Uh, but. I mean. When it when it comes to that kind of thing. And then after the. Great American novelist. You as far as like being snotty. Then you get high fantasy. Science fiction. Um, romantic fiction. Which is not the same
1: as romance.
0: And then romance. <sighs> I actually love the book. To Kill a Walking Bird. Um, Yeah, I would say that YA authors were right down there with romance as far as, like, being snotty about it. (laughs) I mean, it's just, like, just being snotty about it. Because I don't think romance writers or YA authors are snotty about
1: it, so... But I do think... I've actually seen some YA authors looking down on romance writers.
0: True. Um, But there's, like, there's a difference between a YA snotty and someone who thinks they're writing the Great American Novel snotty. Yeah. Yeah.
1: A big difference. (laughs) But there's kind of a like a vibe. I'm going to try to find somebody to 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 and then to to look down on. And there are a fair number of romance writers who really look down on fan fiction writers, right? Um, and it's just every everywhere there's if people take those attitudes they pick up and they push them. It, it, it's a sort of a form of punching down. It's like who am I going to look down on? And fandom fandom takes that and brings it in as as much as any other place does so you've got you know some fandoms think we're better than other people um and i do think what people you know what people sometimes be think of as like imposter syndrome is that they've internalized this voice that some fandoms are more valid than others or that um and sometimes people also might feel that a little bit because maybe that they're really focused on a very small fandom and they feel like, well, maybe if, you know, I don't understand why other people aren't, um, aren't more into this. You know what I mean? Um, I, ha- I have fandoms where
0: I am more comfortable than there are fandoms where I'm not as comfortable. Um, and then there are fandoms that make me really anxious as a writer. And I would say my comfort zone is and always will be Stargate. Um, It's where I feel like my fandom home is as far as like fan fiction goes. Uh, I'm very comfortable in Harry Potter. I am less comfortable in Star Trek, to be honest. I am immensely uncomfortable in Inception. I don't feel qualified to write in Inception. (laughs) It's just like, like, what is wrong with you? How do all you get this way? I don't know enough French to title my stories an Inception. <laughs> right? I have to get somebody else to talk. I need a French title for my story. It's for Inception.
1: <laughs> and sometimes you may have like your first exposure to a fandom might be like four or five authors who are just really, really exceptionally good. And it, it's it's really intimidating. And you're like, is this what I'm supposed to do? Really? Um. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the first, like, the first, the first author I just sort of dove, dove in, you know, feet first with was Hannibal was Imager, and I was like, if that was, the, if that was the standard, like, everybody in Hannibal wrote like that, I'd be, I'd be like, there would, I would never touch that phantom with a 10-foot pole. I'd be like, clearly, it's all been done, and done perfectly, so just, I must stay out of it. <laughs> right. but,
0: Which it. I'll just which sit is- over here in my little corner and read, thank you, Imager. Because, but honestly, if I would not set my bar there, I'd be like... Girl, no. No. <laughs> Go not with medical school. <laughs> Come back when you can. Ask a lot ruined me. Acelot ruined me. I when I read uh, Message in a Bottle,
1: I was I was done. I was like, what? What do I do with this? The Hannibal the Hannibal Fandom does seem to be very supportive. Um
0: but Hannibal's very sophisticated. I'm not a good enough cook to write consistently in the Hannibal fandom.
1: I know. I, I wouldn't want to be doing all that. I'd I'd be I'd be having to outsource my food research because I don't want to do that kind of food research. I have to find somebody on the server Like, who wants to be my my food ghost writer? <laughs> it's my sous chef. Who wants to be my sous chef? Because I, I I need a, a sous writer. I need somebody to you know <laughs> I need somebody to do the research on what meals Hannibal's going to serve because I don't want to.
0: <laughs> you over here looking at the joy of cooking.
1: I don't think that's talk where he's getting Julia, his dishes. Talk to me.
0: I know, but I'm just saying that's where I would have to go. <laughs> like I got, I mean, if if get like child can't help me, I'm screwed.
1: <laughs> so there's um, I mean, sometimes you can. There are aspects of some fandoms that can be very intimidating for various reasons. Sometimes the writing quality in a fandom is very intimidating, which for me, I agree. with Inception, the writing quality in Inception is very intimidating. Um. Sometimes the canon itself is very intimidating to approach. I do find the canon for Lord of the Rings intimidating. I find the canon for The Hobbit much more accessible. Um, also the Hobbit fans tend to act like, you know, less like a bag of dicks than uh and I'm sorry to any Lord of the Rings fans out there who are very nice, but you know, your fandom earned a bad reputation for being a giant bag of dicks for a reason. Um there's a lot of, there was a lot of competence in, uh, not was, still is, but it's it's not as many people actively writing in the Stargate fandom. There was also a lot of competence in the X-Files fandom. So it's, I mean, some fandoms just seem to have. Um, the first thing I noticed about Stargate was how talented. Yeah, it was a very talented group of writers. It's very talented. In, in both Stargate and Stargate Atlantis. So it, it was like, it was like that sci, science fiction really kind of drew them in. Um, I do think that um, people are kind of, their ma- imaginations really captured a lot in sci-fi and fantasy fandoms for a good reason. Also paranormal fandoms. There's also a fair, a lot of uh, um, really imaginative writers in in Teen Wolf. And um, I've even read a few supernatural stories. It's not really a big fandom for me, but sometimes somebody wrecks one for me. I'm like, oh yeah, that was, that was good. I had fun. So there's, there's some fandoms that are also sometimes like a fandom that's got an enormous canon like supernatural can be very difficult and intimidating to approach and i could see maybe it wouldn't matter how much confident you had in your skills as a writer that you might feel really out of your depth going into a fandom that had an enormous canon that you were unfamiliar with Um, and even if you were getting familiar with it that putting your toe in that water even if you were inspired to do so um, could make you feel like you were out of place or uncomfortable Another thing that might make you feel uncomfortable is feeling like you're late to the party. But I don't think you should. It's like, well, I mean, what if you just now want to start writing in Stargate Atlantis after a spinoff? I mean, Wraith Bait is missing in action, and um, Area 52, no one knows what happened to that. And it's like, it feels like the Phantom's kind of imploding a little bit. But people are still writing new Stargate content, so... Why shouldn't you write Stargate content? But I hear people talk about like that they shouldn't write in a fandom because they're late to the party. But that should like be a factor. To the Stargate
0: party. Fanlore points that out at the very top of my fan lore page. Latter day Stargate Atlantis writer. That's you, Latter day. I appreciate that you skipped that one part. Uh, yeah, Latter day.
1: Yeah. When I saw Latter day. By that measure, I'm a Latter day NCIS writer, but whatever. <laughs> but why should some fandoms they shouldn't i mean they shouldn't have to die just because i mean some i get why some fandoms kind of fizzle why you don't get i know i don't think you're supposed to care that you're late but i think people get insecure um uh, these are some of the things people get insecure about i I would say absolutely you shouldn't care i think you should write what you want to write and i know that people know this intellectually but how you feel is how you feel so you got to come up with a way of countering how you feel Making and it telling, work for you. Just telling yourself um, is one of the funny things. Is we've talked before. Since this is one of our group therapy sessions, we've talked before. Feelings are not facts, but your feelings are still valid. So telling yourself your feelings are wrong is not actually helpful. So like when you tell yourself that, well, intellectually I know this is not true. So you just try to invalidate what you feel. I think it's better to kind of figure out why you feel what you feel and give yourself. A, a counter to it. So it's like, well, I feel like this because maybe it's just you wish you had been in the fandom earlier, or maybe you wish that, maybe you feel kind of like, am I, am I alone out here writing in this fandom still? Um, and whatever it is that is causing your anxiety, that's making you kind of fret about it, you've got to come up with a something that's a little bit more self-care to kind of help counter... That negative voice, as opposed to just invalidating what you're feeling, because you're feeling it for a reason.
0: I get picked on in my own damn chat room.
1: Yeah, you do. Of course, you do. <sighs> Kira's new altar is the soap box, not the box.
0: I'm sitting here thinking, I wonder how many of these people actually get that pornographic reference, and how many who don't.
1: About the box? Yeah, about the box. Everybody who doesn't get it needs to just go to bed because it's way past your bedtime.
0: Right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I bet Brian doesn't get except, it. Except for Mary Jane because she's just huffing probably too much and she just needs to lay off the pot.
0: Brian, Bri, I'm going to give you a break because I don't want you going on Google. Um, box is a euphemism for pussy. <laughs> Frog, are you okay? <laughs>
1: All of y'all, all all of y'all, it's Pat Hailstrom, it's in the box.
0: (sighs) Yeah, that is definitely Jilly's altar.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She's going to be a total lesbian about it. That's away from the box. (laughs) I do mean to be a total lesbian about it. Um there's no junk in this oh, box, Oh, Misty. Oh, Misty. It's okay. Well, apparently it can be past your bedtime even at 51. <laughs> um. Um,
0: I, I, have a, I don't believe in confining myself to a single fandom. I also don't believe in letting myself get long-term intimidated by a fandom, which is why I did... You know, I do have several works in progress for Inception, and I posted one little one for a um, I think it was uh, that was either Trope Bingo or was it the other Bingo Fluff Bingo? I can't remember which one it was. I still have both my cards, I'm gonna finish them at my leisure. <laughs> I think it was Fluff. Um, and Willow, really, in your varied reading history you've never heard that before that's adorable um but i am an arthur ames shipper in inception and i i do find inception as a whole intimidating not the movie itself um i have a full comprehension of the movie and how it worked and um the dream share thing i'm but the quality of writing in inception is exceptional and it is a little intimidating but I think that's good for you. I, what's good for me to be because I don't want to get complacent when it comes to my craft, and so I don't even what's going on in the chat room is bothering me. <laughs> it's making like it very difficult to concentrate. You're too sheltered for most adult conversations, Bry. Um, it's it's um I have this whole like inability to keep myself to myself when it comes to fandom. <laughs> if I see something shiny, I want to be in it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go over and do that. <laughs> Which is why I currently have 8K of a 911 pick that Bri tried to ruin for me. <laughs> and I had a crisis over it. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm okay now. I knocked that off. It just shows that you don't have any home training. <laughs> 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 what that shows <laughs> um I, you know honestly 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 when you when you when you go into a fandom and, and you're looking at things that people are doing and what they're exploring and the ideas and the concepts that they're doing and you're like okay, I'm not seeing anybody do this I would like to do this I'm gonna go try to do this or I'm seeing everybody do this so I am definitely riding a cabbage patch baby and fuck you if you don't like it um so when you come into a new fandom like nine one one it's that's still relatively small comparatively speaking um I mean, compared to the fandoms that I'm in no, on a regular fan- basis.
1: Compared to c- c- fandoms you're in, yeah. It's not a small fandom anymore, but yeah, compared to the fandoms you're in. yeah, I mean,
0: it's bigger than probably the Aliens fandom, which I have two stories in now. Um, definitely bigger than anything I've seen in the Terminator fandom, which I only have one story in. Um but relatively speaking when compared to stargate and the sentinel and star trek and harry potter it's small and i've i've explored the whole content of ao3 that i felt comfortable exploring rem- removing the tags that bother me um which is what i do and um it's uh i've written down some things that i would like to explore that aren't being currently explored on uh the um on AO3 in, in the fandom, and because I'm really interested in these characters and I really want to explore certain concepts, and that's how I approach a new fandom. It's when I see, like, okay, I don't see this and I really want it, so now I have to write it for myself because no one's doing it for me.
1: Yeah. And, and there, you know, there's certainly from um, on when it comes to 9 1, there's a lot of room, and somebody pointed out that even though there's probably close to 8,000. 000- stories right now in 911, which probably puts it like a medium-ish fandom at this point. Um, it probably is very small word count-wise for the size number of stories because it is It is if you took uh, the top 8,000 Stargate stories and you ranked it against the top 8,000 stories, the word count delta is going to be astronomical. Uh, it's not right. going to be trivial. It's not going to be trivial because Stargate leans towards novels and even epics. So, and anyway, when Whereas- you guys...
0: Nine hundred and eleven leans almost towards flashfic. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's so. a huge,
1: huge. They, it, it, I mean, like the standard is like episode codos, right? It's it's got a very different vibe, but the thing is, that's one of the things. Is like, if you go into that and you read, like, let's say you read like two or three thousand stories, because you could very quickly read two or three thousand stories in that fandom. You think that mm-hmm. sounds silly, but you can't. It's not. You could in a few days. You get a week. You could absorb two or three thousand stories that are a couple thousand words piece. Um, I mean, I probably read upwards of five hundred. I, I probably, yeah, yeah. You just you, you just like you just go through them. You just bang them out, and then. Um, you get a feel. You could very quickly go. Let's. If you were inclined to this way of thinking in terms of thinking about how you don't match the fandom, if that's your, that's not the way you're inclined to think. But if you're inclined to think about the way you don't match a fandom, you might go. This isn't my writing style. I don't really write episode codas, or I don't really write five and one fix. There's a lot of five and one fix in 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 nine one, which I thought was sort of a dying thing, and it's back. Um.
0: But there's really so, something really cute about the 5 and ones in 1s and 911. They're yeah. they're a different kind of animal.
1: I don't normally like 5 in 1s really and I don't I don't even hesitate about opening one now in 911.
0: I would say that I am not a fit for 911. It's it it's not my um I mean stylistically. I do tend towards um I mean recently over the past couple of years 120k is my is my sweet spot.
1: well so you you wouldn't be a fit for those flash fics and the episode codas and the um and the five and ones no but i'm not either so but i mean the first thing i tried i tried to write something short the first thing i wrote was 23k so
0: yeah i tried to write a short and it ended up being chapter one um
1: 25 pages of chapter one but (laughs) you could people could people could look at sus fandom and go i'm not a fit for the fandom's norms or as opposed to they could just go i'm just going to write what i write because i want to write in this fandom and i think that that's more the way to approach if you want to write something is what kind of writer are you and do you want to write in this fandom or not and that's really it doesn't matter you don't writing to fandom norms is just silliness writing to fandom norms is how you wind up with no female original characters
0: And also, how you end up writing the same thing everybody else is writing. Night. Um, But in in acknowledging that I'm not the fandom norm for 911, in no way is going to stop me from writing in it. (laughs) Because that's just how I am. I wasn't the fandom norm in The Sentinel, I didn't know it. Um, I had to be told. Uh, I don't think I'm the fandom norm in Star Trek.
1: See, the thing is, I don't even know what the norm is really in Star Trek. Because in Star Trek, it's usually stories
0: that center around being on the Enterprise. And I've actually yet to write a single story completely centered on the Enterprise. Like, you know, like it's almost like case fic, you know, mission fic is the big thing in Star Trek. I've never mm-hmm. written one. I only have one story, maybe two, set entirely on the Enterprise. And it's short. I also don't write, and because I write in AOS, this is really important. I don't write Jim um being slut-shamed or being a victim or being um I hate victimized, the, both of those. I, really, or, like of those I mean, because that's really what happens in the AOS um a lot. Um, I don't mind, I don't have a problem standing out, but I do see how some people would be intimidated by the idea of it. Yeah, Imaz, Imazati, Imazati is the only one I think that I've fully centered on the Enterprise. Like, like it takes place entirely on the Enterprise. If there's another one, I, I can't think of it. That you wrote on the Enterprise. I have one set on Beta Z. On I mean, I have one set on Beta Z, one set on Vulcan. Then well, there's Wrath, t- takes,
1: Wrath takes place on Earth.
0: Yeah, Tangled Destiny takes place on Earth. Um. I have a work in progress where they are assigned to the Enterprise, but they're currently on Earth. Um, it's a Sentinel fic. It's called Instinct. It's available on EAD. Um, so yeah, and I think the fandom norm is the um, is the Star Trek mission fic. You know, being on the Enterprise, operating the Enterprise, being the captain of the Enterprise, and it's just not something that I've really explored. So I don't think I'm the fandom norm when it comes to uh, Star Trek. I am most especially not the fandom norm when it comes to new Star Trek. Because uh, I'd much rather explore their relationship and their... Yeah, Vulcan Kisses is a little partial, but it you don't even get a really scene with them having dialogue together until they're on Earth, retired. So yeah, because I want to explore that dynamic, that bond, but, that, but that's kind of always what I want to explore. You know, that connection between people um, coming together, figuring out how to work together, communicating, um, that hopefulness, which is what I tried to do in Perspectives, was where I wrote Tony Stark and Mike Banning, um, where Tony, you know, kind of gets a reboot, a mental one. And make some decisions to protect himself and to protect Jarvis and to protect the future that he wants. And Happy hires Mike Banning to help him do that. And that's that's what I like to do. That's my jam. And so I look for that in every fandom. So when I moved into nine one one recently, um, I started it in a moment of immense change for Buck.
1: Yeah, His whole did. world is new.
0: And Eddie takes one look at this this what's happening for Buck, and it's like, oh, I'm all in on that. I want all of that. Come home with me. (laughs) Bring your stuff. (laughs) Bring all your stuff. (laughs) And so, it's like, because that's really what I like to explore as a writer. So, I look for that in other fandoms. I look for that in Harry Potter. I look for it in Stargate. I look for it in Star Trek. And so, When I'm looking at a new fandom, I do evaluate, like, you know, what kind of um, tropes are being explored, what kind of uh, group think is happening in the fandom, which speaks to tropes. It speaks to um, the kind of works that are being created and the kind of works that are being encouraged by readers, reader interactions. Because all that plays into how a fandom grows and changes. And so that's also how a fandom can be really awesomely supportive. Or how a fandom can get deeply toxic. Yeah.
1: And if you drive out too many of the different voices early on, you wind up with this group think that becomes, that's where the toxicity comes in. And anybody who is outside of that norm, um, people just like, oh, how dare you step outside of the box? Bitch, I'm gonna destroy your box, and not mine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Your own box. Um, But also, from my observation, because I am on a nine-one-one server, is my observation is that they are very supportive of people doing different things and they just I've never seen anybody be anything but I mean I see people sometimes like internally like say I see people put an idea I go wow that's a hard no for me I don't say it to them but for me it's like just for my preferences I would like never conceptually f- like read that kind of thing um, like some kinds of AUs or whatever don't, just don't work for me in certain kinds of fandoms but they work for other people I think that's great and people are very supportive of the whole try what you want to try kind of thing um and I think that that's great that the fandom is very encouraging and supportive of
0: I want to also talk about that because there is a um I think that sometimes the overall scope of a world that's being built in a TV series or in this case two TV series um is has play. And so when we look at the cast of of 911 we have a canon lesbian pairing um we have a single father with a special needs child we have a um a family group being made with Bobby Nash and um Athena and her kids and her ex-husband who was gay and having you know Trying to find the love of his life, you know, you know, embracing his sexuality at such a at such an age and trying to figure out who he is, and so you have all these scoping issues, right? And then you go over to nine one one Lone Star, and you've got a transgender character, a canon gay pairing, um, a father with an adult child, which is really interesting. And they're both working in the same profession and it's like that's that's a really interesting dynamic. And so you're getting all these different um, and I think that because of all these different dynamics, that the audience for this show is a lot more forward thinking. Yeah
1: they're inclined to I don't think anybody's going to come into writing in this family this fandom with a lot of baked in homophobia because why would you be re re watching the show where you've got gay pairings on both both shows um I don't racism's not going to go very far because you've got um um Athena and Bobby are a mixed race couple um mm-hmm. you got adopted children um yeah, you got the immigration issues. The immigration issues are on 911 Lone Star. Um, you've got um you got two mixed race
0: pairings on 911. Um, you've got Chim and Maddie. Um, yeah. and you've got um Athena and Bobby. And of course, you know, if if
1: Eddie and Buck ever got together, they would also be <laughs> mixed race couple, yeah. Yeah. Um and um, and then on um uh, Lone Star, you've got uh, a Muslim woman who's a firefighter, which they and they don't show it from dealing with the issues that she's dealing with. Um, so I think that um, I agree that that the show itself is promoting and engendering a lot of diversity. So if people were to be closed minded and um, you know, sort of backward in their thinking about what they were going to tolerate in their fandom, it would be weird.
0: I mean, why would they even be watching the show? So I don't see them actually being in the fandom, you know? Um, And also what is really interesting. And this is, this is going to take me back to my, my Sentinel days, but I find it really interesting that no one, that I've not really seen a lot of it with the assumption that Buck is automatically the top because he's the bigger of the two of them. And there is that thing. Where the bigger of the two men is automatically the top. And I saw it most prevalent in the Sentinel, because you know Jim's this big masculine man and Blair was this short, long-haired, smaller man, and of course that meant he had to be the bottom. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I don't see that in nine one one. And Buck is significantly like he's more muscular, he's taller, um, and so you would think that. I mean, I'm really glad to not see it. Is, is, is what I'm getting at. In fact, the first story I read was um, Tighten Up that had sex in it. And it was it was Eddie on top, banging it like a drum. And I'm, was that Tighten Up? I think it was.
1: I mean, most Perfect. of the stories I've read that have sex have them switching fairly mm-hmm. There's not really a uh, defined person who's more on top, more on top than the other. Although if there is going to be somebody more on top in the fandom, it does tend to be Eddie. Um, there are few, and I do mean very few, where Buck's more exclusively a top. And I do mean it's a very tiny number. I did run across a story in my early, early on that I kind of did nope out of it because the author had changed Buck's physical proportions. So that they he had was him- smaller? So he was smaller. So they were doing the thing where Eddie is the top, which I don't have a problem with. But they were making Buck a smaller person. They were like changing it and I, I noped out. It made me uncomfortable. I'm like, why would you do that? It's gross. It's feminization. It's it's something because they weren't making I mean, him feminine. They just they were just making him smaller. It was like he they made him like you know like a woman. Well, no, I mean he was still a strong firefighter, but they just made him short, a little shorter than Eddie. And not quite as muscular as Eddie. It was just like it was like Eddie just needed to be a little bit bigger than Buck as opposed to Buck. So whatever, you know, that little bit that you know, Buck's two inches taller than Eddie, and he's definitely broader, especially, especially between, I mean, you could kind of argue they're probably close to the same size in season two, but by season four, holy crap, Oliver Stark's a lot bigger. So um, yeah, it's season four, it's astonishing. I, I, I will show you how much bigger this guy is in season four than he was. Because you haven't seen season four. I have not. Um, let's see. Let's see if I get the right picture. Um,
0: so, I mean, that that size disparity thing in the
1: top. Holy shit, dude. Yeah, I she agree. Works. I think it's all, I think all he did was work workout. out. <laughs> yeah, I think all he did was work out in quarantine. Um, and they like they've him putting on jacket. They have him wearing jackets a lot in season four, and it's like he looks so bulky in jackets. It's like he's like suddenly dwarfing everybody. It's like, size.
0: dude, you cannot hide this. Not making him wear a
1: jacket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just it's it's odd. Um, I I don't know what I'm looking at, Mary Jane. But you're gonna, gonna have to go to the court. For that. I don't really understand it, but I'm definitely putting her this in the then.
0: <laughs> I know what the picture is. I just don't like the implication in the text.
1: <laughs> anyway, so there but this what the story I read it. I did know about because they just they just took that that little size differential between Buck and Eddie and they just inverted it so that it was at Buck a little bit smaller. And I was like, what's the purpose of that? And then and then I realized the buck was the bottom of the relationship and i went oh it was so that you could feel comfortable with the fact that buck was bottoming it's gross
0: that is so gross
1: and i will tell you here's i will tell you something because i was working on a sex scene between buck and eddie recently and here's one thing that will will help some people if this is the reason that you're struggling when two people are the same or when some of the shorter person is doing the fucking okay and you're face to face you're not going to be able to kiss easily you're just not. Because it's just not lined up right. So it's going to be more like face to throat. But, I'm sorry, but Oliver Stark is all leg. <laughs> yeah, he is. That guy is, is all leg. So they're probably, actually, their torsos are probably pretty close to the same height. So, you know, if you're struggling on the kissing front, that because it's they're not going to be able to really kiss because of the height difference when they're fucking face to face, they actually there, probably will. is isn't that much of a height difference.
0: It isn't like... Four well, but, or five inches, it's like two inches. It's
1: it's two inches, Three. but two inches, two inches with that offset. It probably would be a little bit of a it wouldn't be impossible, but it'd be a little bit of a strain to kiss. Um Eddie is a long torso, and Buck has long legs. So even with that two inch height differential, I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie actually sits taller than Buck does.
0: Yeah, they're flexible. They'll be they'll be okay.
1: <laughs> It'll be fine. But I didn't Don't have to Don't worry I mean, about he, it. He, no he, one's gonna be getting a measuring tape out and trying to measure this for you in your sex scene. Are they gonna actually be able to kiss? I'm like, yes, they will be able to kiss. It's fine.
0: You little weirdos. It's a bizarre thing to get wrapped around the axle about. Um, and but I, but I see it. I've I've seen it in plenty of fandoms, and I was really happy to not see it as much in 911.
1: Yeah, I, I've been I've been pleased to not see it too.
0: It's just you know,
1: and I think, and I think, I mean. Vibe canon wise is kind of both ends of the spectrum. I mean, he just he, he fucks a girl up against the wall in a bathroom in one, but you know, one episode, but you know, um, that was a great scene. I know, <laughs> was good. I love that scene. I mean, was I was he- like,
0: don't bang that heifer, but also, hot, that's hot. <laughs>
1: But anyway, when you're when you're to go back to the fandom norm thing when you're looking at fandom norms you can kind of go oh I don't fit this fandom maybe I shouldn't be here or if you're going into a writing group and this was a little bit more on maybe more on point to where this question started you can have like maybe in a writing group and you're going oh like everybody here is writing in contemporary fandoms and I'm writing an anime or everybody here is writing sci-fi and I'm writing young adult or whatever it doesn't matter often writing groups you know they got together around Um, especially fandom writing groups, they did get together around... Maybe they met through a Teen Wolf group, right? So maybe they all started writing Teen Wolf. Or maybe they all started writing together um, around Stargate and their interests have diverged over time. But it doesn't mean they're not inclusive and welcoming and going to be enthusiastic about whatever you bring to the table. Um, Unless they outright say. If people are starting to give you the vibe that they don't think your thing is good enough for them... That's them. They're not good enough for you. You need to step away. Come over to Just Right. You're all welcome. (laughs) It'll be fine. Now, somebody did once, when we were talking about this curse, because somebody gave me a little bit of grief about, we talk about how we're inclusive on Just Right and, you know, whatever, that we're very judgmental about RPF fandoms yes yep. true does it mean that you can't be an rpf writer on on just right no it doesn't mean that um but there's like i don't we don't do rpf on the quantum Bang because well for starters how can you fix something in a real person's life that's gross um real gross and I'm honestly i'm not even apologetic about my issues with rpf but i am not going to tell you you can't write it you can, i'm not telling tell anybody they can't write rpf and if you're an rpf writer that you can't join the Just right server, but if you're an RPF writer, definitely you can't join do the quantum bang, because the quantum bang is about fix-it-fix, fix, which like I said, you can't fix someone else's life. That's weird. Um, Super gross. Don't do it. But when it comes to RPF, yeah, I do have really strong opinions about it, um, but I'm not telling anybody they can't write it. I just think you it's... You I just think that it's... Gross. It's intrusive and... Um,
0: It's not on rough. I don't allow it on rough trade because I question its legality.
1: And I, yeah, I think eventually the courts are going to come down. That it's probably going to, they're going to eventually strike some book down. That was, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. It gets pretty far in litigation several times so far. That book about the Dixie chicks. I think it was the Dixie chicks. Wasn't it? It's the Dixie chicks.
0: I don't know how that dude got away with writing. um, Fanfic about Obama and Biden. And putting oh. it on Amazon.
1: I don't know. I just I find it I find it intrusive and weird, and I I think that eventually is it's going to. I think I think it's already it's way grayer legal area than than fan fiction. So I just I don't. And like I'm not
0: hiring a lawyer to deal with your bullshit.
1: Well, he's sitting also forward, so that's also that's not the the perspective. There's a little bit of forced perspective there, but yeah. That's what you mean about Eddie does is a little bit taller than Buck. I'm telling you, Oliver Stark's got it all going on in the leg, um, which is not a flaw; it's a feature. No, no, I like I like long legs. So, um, so yeah, I mean, RPF is a it's, it's a funny area. Like, if you talk on on the Just Right server about writing RPF, I think it's gonna be one of those things. If you're an RPF writer, people probably aren't gonna know what to say in terms of specifics because a lot of people are uncomfortable with it and so they're not going to say oh here's how you could develop this character who's a real person because it's way That's outside weird. it's way outside their comfort zone and they're not going to have anything constructive to say so but could you talk about your craft in general about character development in, in general in generic terms certainly but sometimes people don't want to
0: well, let's be honest, sometimes people don't want that. They want a cheerleader.
1: Right, and they or they want somebody to validate them and say, you know, whatever. But it's just it's it's I I have some hard stops and so, yeah.
0: I do feel like it's going to it's a legal issue that's cuz that's going to get a hard and fast ruling sooner rather than later and I I'm not hiring a lawyer to defend somebody else's work. No.
1: So, I mean, it this is that that like rpf is an area that's a little bit weird when it comes to this whole you do you and fandom thing i still think you do you if you you write what you want to write but not every person is going to be able to be supportive of of if you're just looking for me to be a cheerleader and validate your decisions you don't need a writing group to validate your decisions
0: you know you got readers for that yeah and there is a reader for you on ao3 that will validate the shit out of whatever you're writing
1: But if you want to work on craft, it doesn't matter that anybody else know what you're writing. You know, you're certainly welcome on the server. But when you get to talk in specifics, you know. But I think that there's like a perception um, that like maybe most of the people on Just Right write in contemporary fandoms or something. That really isn't true. Um, There's almost 800 people on the server. I honestly don't have a clue what most people's main fandom is. And some of the ones that I thought I knew, I was wrong. <laughs> so,
0: I mean, we could probably do a poll if you're super curious, but I'm not sure how many of them would actually
1: participate.
0: I mean, I would say that most of the time that I lean towards yeah. science fiction fans. I think a
1: lot of people do. So, um, I do think we actually have a fair n- more number of anime fandoms and people think, anime writers than people think we do. Because a lot of people who are writing um, in contemporary or sci fi fandoms or whatever right now, you go on their website, they've got some Naruto or some bleach or something, you know, but they, it may not be what they're writing right this minute, but that they've written it in the past. Um, well, that's reader. <laughs> We're talking about writing. You can't, curious, curious Fix can't be your your fandom as a writer, though, <laughs> because that's a little bit strange. I'm gonna write Low a crossover creepy. between, um, let's see, uh, Courtney Hermione Granger and Ale- Sentinels Atlantis, and people are like, "Wait, what? I don't even know what that means."
0: I <laughs> look, I don't look forward to reading it either. I was, I was gonna lie, but I don't think I can read fan fiction of my own fan fiction.
1: This my own. Well, fan yeah, I could, I could go be fiction. met all over myself, but um, other people did it, you know. And the thing is, I there's, it's kind of out there, you know, and that's fine. Because the thing is, I've read two
0: already, and both of them were eviscerating emotionally. Uh, And both were about, actually both were ties to buying um, knockoffs. Um, Well, one was basically um, a re-edit of my fic, uh, but a thousand times more abusive. Um, Or abusive. I wouldn't say more abusive, because I don't think my fic is abusive. Um, And then the other one was written explicitly to character assassinate matt
1: yeah that's what it felt like somebody hated matt
0: but upon discussion we realized this person actually just doesn't like our original characters
1: yeah but whatever you want to write is what you should write whatever you feel called to write is what you should write i would perhaps challenge you a little bit that if what you're being called to write is about real people maybe sit down think about it first we all have had that moment where we've looked back and probably gone, man, I probably should have thought about that for five minutes before I did it. Um, or even a minute would have made a world of difference. Um, It seemed like a good idea at the time. It's funny and probably the motto of my life. But it's just, sometimes you give it five minutes and it recurs as a minute and you might have thought better of it. But in general, you know, in general, usually we consider these things. like Jumping into a new fandom is usually something we consider. You know, we don't We don't usually take that lightly, which is why people get insecure, right? Is they're like they they become familiar with the phantom norms, or they feel like, do I fit in here? And then decide for some reason that they don't, that they can't write in that. But um, I would say, quit considering. Just you be you and write what you want to write. But if it's real person fiction, try to put yourself in that person's shoes. Do you want somebody writing fiction about you? The Uh, answer is no. No, and yeah, it's just my PSA for the day about. RPF. I'm not I'm trying not trying to be an ass to people who really like RP writing RPF, but
0: I accidentally stumbled across an RPF story um for David Hewlett and Joe Flanagan, where the author um had one cheating. I think that David Hewlett was single in the fic. And Joe Flanagan, of course, was married at the time. And um I would say I really this is, the, this is where my feelings on RPF formed. Because um, I really didn't understand what it was at first. I mean, I had a lot of things in fandom that I didn't quite get when I first entered fandom. It's like 2008-ish. Ish? 07, maybe? Um, and, like, I would say 25-30% of the fic was dedicating to bashing Joe Flanagan's wife. She was frigid. She was controlling. Um... She was annoying. she got in their way. I, I, ignoring her phone calls was a joke to them.
1: It's just yucky. It's just yucky. just just consider it, just stopping and reconsider it. i I'm pretty sure you know you'll have a moment in fandom later where you go that may not have been my best idea ever
0: because I mean, you know, it isn't like writing a fanfic of. John Shepard and McKay. This is two people who have relationships, who have children, whose children can Google, and who might not understand the difference between fan fiction and reality, depending on their age. And at the time, Joe Flanagan had a small child, had younger children. Um, I think most of his are now teenagers. Um, so come on now.
1: Well, the thing is, these things live forever, and you got to know that these kids of these celebrities are going to be one day wondering about uh oh. I'm gonna go ahead and Google the fan fiction about you know dad's characters, or whatever, and they find the RPF about their parents. I mean, it's like, and they're gonna get curious. They're gonna be, they're gonna click. Anyway, just uh, my my first stumble into RPF, which I didn't know what RPF was. I didn't know that was a thing people did. Um, was um, it was a Lord of the Rings fic, and I didn't recognize the actor's name, so I didn't know I was reading RPF. Um, I thought I was reading something Lord of the Rings, and I'm reading, and the first time I realized what i was reading was when they mentioned the name vigo mortensen because i reckon his is the only name i recognized of the actors that were in the in the stories i'm like who are all these people i don't know any of these people from lord of the rings who are all these people and i was sitting there waiting for a character i recognized to show up and then there was um vigo mortensen i went wait a minute he's really yeah he's an actor and then i was like what am i reading and that's i was pretty new to fan fiction um i think yeah, it was. It was uh, yeah, I was still in the first few years of my fan fiction journey when The Fellowship of the Rings came out, and um I had to ask a friend of mine, who the one who had introduced me to fan fiction, actually, she of the filing cabinets full of printed fan fiction, um, the one who curated carefully curated my fan fiction journey for about a year or so. Um, what what the fuck I just read, and she said, "Oh, that's that's real person fiction." I was like, "What is real person fiction?" <laughs> and she explained to me, and I went why would you do that I, what did I, felt, I, read? I need to wash my brain i felt i felt so messed up i felt so, i was so messed up i just couldn't i couldn't get past it that I, I, had, I had read that yeah there are a lot of authors who like i'll see i'll read their phantoms like yeah i read that phantom i'll read that phantom and be like every phantom under the sun that i read that they they write in and then there's hockey rpf and i'm like wait what <laughs> what why is that a thing <laughs> why is that a thing? I, I don't understand. I, I don't know why hockey RPF is a thing. I also don't know why Bandam is a thing. But you know, the hockey and the bands—those are the two big ones.
0: I mean, honestly, those little boy bands are cute. But I don't understand the hockey.
1: Yeah, I heard there was a shapeshifter. Yeah, I did hear from somebody that there was a shapeshifter thing in hockey RPF that was a really big trope that people went wackadoo over for a while. Um, to the point, people even even people who knew I didn't read RPF were sending me stuff about hedgehogs. shapeshifters. The ones I were sent were all hedgehogs.
0: Is that the best of both worlds, or just horrible? I mean, like, because you're going to get tentacle fic and shapeshifter.
1: But octopus shouldn't be on ice. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem like a good idea. Octopi do not belong on ice. Like uh, yeah, they would. <laughs> <laughs> right, they got stuck. Well, that seems like what would happen. I mean, you're a little damp. You get on some ice, you're going to stick. Oh, the fic isn't about that. Oh, well, oh, okay. Well, what's it about man? I mean, you're going to put an octopus. <laughs> There's a bit of dialogue at the end. Oh, I, ha- harmonic. Oh. I'm afraid it's already too dream for your, It's already too late for your dreams. But sleep well. <laughs> Good luck with that. I mean. I'll let you... I gotta, I gotta run for a second. I'll get right back, but... Um, okay. Maybe we can touch on imposter syndrome when I get back.
0: I don't understand why octopuses... octopi... octopi... cephalopods... I don't understand why they're part of hockey culture, and I don't think I want to know. I have a bizarre relationship with fandom, in that I like to write fan fiction, but I often find fandom itself very frustrating. Now, who decides to bring a dead octopus... Who has a dead octopus, number one? Number two, who decides to bring that dead octopus to a hockey game and throw it on the ice? Why is this a thing? How, how, how is this a fucking thing? Well, throwing a live chicken's abuse. They should have been arrested. I hope they were arrested. But, uh, it might be sexist to say this, but you know a man was involved in that shit. Just saying. I hope he got banned. I hope he got arrested for animal abuse. The poor chicken. And honestly, you don't throw your food like that. I regret nothing I just said. Anyways, I, like I said, I have a really bizarre relationship with fandom in that I really do like fan fiction. I often can't stand fandom.
1: Well, some of the most toxic parts of fandom never really ever went away. They just find new ways to reinvent themselves.
0: Mm, Yeah, true. True. I should have used this time you were gone to go get some tea.
1: We could just have a quiet period that you can easily edit out later if you want to get some tea.
0: People throwing chickens at hockey games. Okay. I mean, it was a man. But I know I, I know you're not surprised. I would say, honestly, probably it was also a white man. Which, he probably just had a bad day. <sighs> get me started. Um <clears throat> You know, Weeza had a bad day for 40 years, but you didn't see her doing shit like that. That's right. <laughs> you are definitely Weeza. <laughs> I I strive to be. I aspire to such. I do need tea, though. So I'm, I'm going to take a little thing. And then we can do the vampire. Vanco- the, oh, what's that vampire shit? We can do this. <laughs> we can do the vampire the thing.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. We're just going to mute so you okay. can edit this later. Okay, imposter syndrome. Is Jillian back yet? I'm here. Okay. Do we want to give a definition for imposter syndrome before we start talking about it?
1: <sighs> yeah, I can Google imposter syndrome. Make sure we get a good definition for it. Um, I'll go. To, well, I'll go to Wikipedia first. What Wikipedia has to say. See if it resonates. Does that sound like what we're talking about? Okay. Imposter syndrome as imposter phenomenon, imposterism, fraud syndrome, or imposter experience is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents, or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Despite external evidence of their competence, those experiencing this phenomenon remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve all they have achieved. Individuals with imposterism or incorrectly attribute, attribute their success to luck or interpret it as a result of res- deceiving others into thinking they are more intelligent than they perceive themselves to be. While early research focused on the prevalence among high-achieving women, imposter syndrome has been recognized to affect m- both men and women equally. Imposter syndrome also occurs in the context of mental illness and its treatment. Certain individuals may see themselves as less ill, less depressed, less anxious than their peers or other mentally ill people, citing the lack of severe symptoms as the indication Of no or minor underlying issue, people with this form do not seek help for their issues, seeing their problems as not worthy of psychiatric attention. I generally agree with that.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much how I would. But the thing is not think of it.
1: Is the general thing I would say that the reason why it resonates, when somebody is struggling with imposter syndrome is usually they're um, doubting their abilities. They have the ability, but they doubt them. They don't, you know, um, it typically, and a lot of, I think a lot of times it's the people, who, those are the people who do well with fake it till you make it. Um, it's just, you know, they know they struggle with this and they just have to put one foot in front of the other until they get there as opposed to just being insecure. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely some parallels between the two, but I do think there's a little bit of a difference between um, feeling uncertain in a new place or if you should be here or if you fit in that uncertainty and feeling um, struggling with imposter syndrome. And it's, imposter syndrome is not the same thing as being actually being a fraud. It's the exact opposite of being a fraud. It's feeling a fraud when you're not.
0: I'm trying to, I feel like this might apply to me in a medical sense. I mean, because we, well, we earlier when we talked about it, I said that I really didn't think that I had anything to put into this particular part of the conversation because I don't suffer from this. Um, but when you were talking about the full definition, I I do tend to understate, or I don't want to say I underreport, but I do tend to say, okay, my diabe- my diabetes isn't that bad. It's not as bad as this. I don't need this. Therefore, it's not that bad. My clinical depression isn't that bad because I shower every day. (laughs) (laughs) Without bribing myself. I used to have to bribe myself. I mean, there was a time. Yeah. I was like, okay, if you get in the shower and you do this, then you can have this. You know, and I was that that's how I would get myself through these tasks. I literally did not have the energy to do right. Um, and so, but when you're talking about the medical part, as I do tend to kind of underplay my medical issues, to either it's, I mean, it could be a function of my anxiety, right, to yeah. kind of minimize these things. Um, but maybe there is a little bit of imposter syndrome there.
1: I mean, it's like well it could be a little bit like oh god well they've they've diagnosed me with this but you know i'm not really there yet i'm not i'm not like the people who really have this problem um it seems a little bit like it's downplaying
0: i've I've i'll tell you you a little story okay so you ever been to a Publix?
1: i have never been to Publix. It's not my i mean i lived in an area that had piggly wiggly so when i lived in the south
0: okay um I think there's one Piggly Wiggly within like 50 miles of my house right now. Um, It's kind of had a downturn as far as, which is really sad because Piggly Wiggly is like an icon um, for the South. Uh, Okay. So Publix has this where they're, when they bag your groceries, they will put your groceries in your cart, take them out to your car and put them in your car for you. Um, Really nice. But I always turn it down and I turn it down like this. Oh, no, thank you. Someone might need you more. Mm -hmm. So I always say that. It's my go to, right? And I broke my foot. And I'm in a walking cast and I am getting my buggy and um the little the little guy offers to take my stuff out for me and he says I said, Oh no, thank you. I said he said, ma'am, today I think you do need me more. And I was like, What? He goes, When'd you break your foot? <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> and I let him take my groceries out. <laughs> But he knew me well enough to know that I was going to say no because I always say no because someone else might need him more. You know, someone who's elderly or who has a broken foot. <laughs> but I, I always do that.
1: Always. Yeah, I can see that. I can
0: have a migraine, be it <laughs> my, my husband's driving. Although it's fine, my husband can do it. <laughs> <laughs> my husband would be like, you know, actually, it would have been nice if you'd
1: let him come out to the car and helped. <laughs> okay. It's too late now. I have, I think I have struggled with uh, imposter syndrome a couple times in my professional career. But it was a lot related to um, feeling really overwhelmed in the circumstances I was in. Um, there were a couple times when I was brought in as a subject matter expert on something where I was the youngest person in the room the least credentialed person in the room, and I was like, "Why are, Why am I here telling these people anything?" It felt I felt so wrong-footed. Um, even though, and I had to give myself that little talk about, I am not here to advise these all these people. There wasn't a single person in the room the first time this happened. There wasn't a single person in the room who didn't have a PhD in some sort of engineering field. If not more than That's one.
0: That's intimidating. I if didn't.
1: not if not more than one. And I don't have a PhD. I don't even have a master's. So I'm sitting there in the room. And I'm brought in as a subject matter expert in my area to tell all these people something. And to get them to. And, and I was also brought in to get them to all agree on something. You, you can't get a room full of engineers to agree on anything. No matter who you are. Not even much. Like. Right. It certainly can't get a room full of PhD engineers to agree on something. But anyway. And I'm sitting there, and I, I i can only describe what I was struggling with was imposter syndrome. I was like, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I think I was probably 26, maybe, at the time. I was like, I'm so far in over my head right now. But put my big girl panties on. <laughs> I got up there. Um, I got, you know, I took 80% to got like, 80% agreement and then told the other 20% how it was going to be because that was what I was there to do. <laughs> <laughs> her 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 inner boss took over. So for those of you who don't want to cooperate, this is how it's going to be. Um, you don't got to go. you don't got to go home, but you do got to go. <laughs> and there've been a couple other times like that in my career cuz I worked for some very big companies at times and there was this one time I got pulled into this like substituted into this um to doing this kind of conference thing that i i was i was pulled in from another department as this wasn't my area um working on i don't know if, um i don't even know if they still do they still even do comdex i don't know it ran until 2003 okay um comdex was a um computer dealer it was it's shorter for the computers dealers exposition it was a trade expo in las vegas um okay. it ran from 79 to 2003 so for like almost 25 years this was the big computer trade show that ha- would happen every year and um, i got pulled into working on comdex which was something that was not my area trade shows were not my area um and i got pulled into working on this and the sp- specific task i was supposed to do um for this was it required me to be interfacing with vice presidents and ceos of other fortune 500 companies and i was like <sighs> this is not my area <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't i don't i don't want to do this this is not my area and it was not it wasn't that i didn't have the skills to do it because i did it was i didn't feel like i belonged so i think it was a little bit of that imposter syndrome there it was just because it was so i felt so out of my depth and out of my element and this i i did feel like a fraud like i'm sitting here telling trying to speak authoritatively and i'm like why am i to telling somebody who's who who literally helped it it, it helped with the invention of the the computer as we know it anything it's just it seemed so absurd but that that was that was what i was supposed to do so i have i have not really been in that situation where i felt like that when it comes to writing but i can relate to it to a degree because of uh, professional experiences um so I think with people, if you're struggling with feeling like you're like an imposter when it comes to being in a writing group, um, the, the the easiest way to approach that is to just sit down and write more. Be more in the group. Be more involved. Um, make yourself sit with that d- uncomfortable feeling until it goes away. I think I think this is one of those cases of exposure therapy is the right approach. Unless it's making you tremendously anxious, I think expo- exposure therapy is the thing to do. Make yourself sit there and be with other writers and and give yourself that positive self-talk. And even just straight up admit, I'm struggling with feeling like I don't belong here. And let them help prop you up. Because when it comes to a circle of writers, everybody who writes belongs there.
0: And here's the thing that I really would like you all to keep in mind. Um, I've said it before and I will say it again and I will always say it. Writers are born... And if you have in you the desire to write, if you have in you the desire to tell yourself stories and to tell other people stories or to keep these stories to yourself, no matter how you do it, writers are born. And if you put words down on paper, born from your creative process, you are a writer, period. Whether you share it or not, whether you're published or not, it doesn't matter. And on that, on that particular note, we all have equal footing. A writer is a writer is a writer. Now, there, there, there is an animal, a different kind of animal in fandom that writes for attention. But they don't have that burning desire to write. They don't fill their head up with idea after idea after idea. They don't get up in the middle of the night because they can't sleep because they had a dream that was really fantastic and now they have this bunny and they have to get it out right this minute and they write it down in their notebook. They don't have those moments because they're not writers. They're attention
1: whores. And if they weren't so
0: they don't getting don't attention, attention
1: they—if they aren't getting attention, they'll stop writing. And they'll do something else to get attention.
0: So that's what you are. You're a writer. So, if you doubt anything about yourself or your process, never doubt that, because you're born with that. That's in you from the moment of your conception.
1: And if anybody says anything to you, if you're in a writers group or anybody says anything to you that makes you feel like you don't belong, like you are less than, or the type of writing you do is not good enough, or the t- your interests, your tropes, your genres, your fandoms, whatever it is, if they're not, if they're not up to some some bizarre measure that that they only only they themselves understand get out i can't think of anything worse for a writer than a toxic writing group really i can't because you just you take that on board you'll internalize it and then you'll be struggling years down the road to to unpick the things that they have woven into your brain and you just don't need that
0: terrible concepts and
1: okay I'm going to tell you
0: a little story it's going to be a little convoluted because I'm going to have to just try to keep name out of it because I didn't discuss in beforehand um I had a conversation earlier in the week with an individual who belongs to several discord servers And on one of these discord servers was this ask an author section um and so there was a question that got asked and she answered the question along with several other people because she's an author. She's a writer. So she answered this question. Um, and, but come to find out she got reprimanded in private by a mod because it was not ask an author. It was asked the specific author on the server because they're professional. So she was telling me this and I got really uh, tickled got really tickled by the idea that this server existed out there where this, where this, where this ask an author channel was, for, was, 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 for, was for specifically one author, but no one labeled it. Just like they assumed that everybody who came onto the server would know. That'd be like me putting a channel on Crossroads where there are 1,600 people as of recently and it just says ask an author on it and then saying and then and then reprimanding everybody on it who answered a question in there because they were all for me. But it doesn't say ask Kara. It says ask an author or ask a writer or whatever. And I'm like, I can't expect everybody on the damn server to know that without a description. Right? You would think so, Right? that's a thing they got be thinking and we have this um there's this mentality in fandom um about readers being currency and um there's these empire empire building elements that take place around us um and I could legitimately be accused of it empire building I have a yahoo gr- I mean not a yahoo group I did have a yahoo group once but I closed it cuz I hate yahoo I have a Facebook group, which I'm going to archive soon. I have a Discord server. I have... How many websites do I have? Let's see. I have the Brouhaha, Riding and Junk, Rough Trade, my own. So I have four websites. Uh, wild Hair.
1: Well, oh, five websites.
0: That's ours.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. But, I mean, you own the domain. Yeah. And you pay for the hosting.
0: Yeah. So five. I'm involved with the Quantum Bang. Um... I'm trying to get away from the M word. Actually. I'm, I'm, I, would like, I would like to retire the M word. Um, I don't want an empire. I want a community. Um, and I think we've built one. A really cool one. A really interesting one. Um, But empire building in in itself is toxic. But I know that from the outside looking in. I could be accused of it. Which is kind of uncomfortable. Because it leads to. It can. It can very easily lead to very toxic environments. Like a whole Discord server dedicated to an author, but not actually listed that way, so that you go in there and you think you're getting one thing and you're getting another, and then you get berated for participating. The wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd rather have bobs than minions. I still have not WD-40 in my chair. I've, I guess you guys have noticed. I don't know if they ran from the server. Um, That, that part didn't I don't remember what I don't remember what they said. I forgot. Fibro, you know, be what it is. Um, but I just I want to be surrounded by writers, and sometimes in fandom that can be hard because sometimes fandom fosters this competition. I think that boils back down to reader currency, yeah, or readers yeah. as currency, yeah. I used to talk about world domination, but I don't want to rule the world. That's a lot of work. And honestly, the world's full of morons. And I don't want to be responsible for their shenanigans. <sighs> Truth be known, it's like 99% of the population is one hey y'all, watch this, away from being a knick-knack on somebody's mantle. <laughs> 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 I'm awful. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry.
1: <laughs> I'm not remotely sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hers. You want to watch something really entertaining? Go over to YouTube and look up the BuzzFeed Unsolved and watch the episode about Annabelle, the doll. Hilarious. Okay. Anyways, um, I love BuzzFeed Unsolved. That's fucking hilarious. But Annabelle is the best. Ryan. He tells Ryan, don't go in there and insult the doll. What's Ryan do? Goes in there and insults the doll. <laughs> Ryan would invite the devil to sit at his table. <laughs> if the devil existed. Anyways,
1: Jillian. Yes. Empire building. Empire building. Um, I mean, I think I think sometimes people wind up with something that looks like an empire. Um, it's just sort of like, but it's I would I would I would use the term community. I prefer than, community rather than empire. I think empire is a very toxic term, um, especially in fandom
0: when you have when you mix it with siloing, um, yeah, and uh, policing. Yeah, you have people in the community put like you know, just policing um, reader behavior, policing author behavior. Think, like, oh, you can't write this. You can't write this. You can't write this pairing. Um, how dare you? Um, not tag Jack O'Neill as as a bottom. I did not want to see that. You ruined my life. (laughs) (sighs) I can feel your frustration all the way from here. (laughs) I don't understand this whole um, thing in fandom about warning for who's on go-
1: gonna be on bottom i just i don't get it well some people might be i mean depends on the archive that you're on like I on ao 3 if it's a tag you don't know if they're trying to warn you or if they're saying this is a feature
0: right i hope it's a feature on ao 3 are they um, adver-
1: are they advertising or are they warning but definitely on that on was it it was area 52 right where yeah. you had to warn if jack was on the bottom it was like
0: really <laughs> It's like, I don't, I don't, but I do think that whole worn bottom thing or people expecting or demanding that one character continuously be the bottom is about feminization. It's like internalized misogyny.
1: It is definitely internalized misogyny, but I don't think they're trying to feminize one character as much as that they perceive one character as being too male to bottom, which is uh more to- I think it's it's a little bit more toxic masculinity. So there's misogyny and toxic masculinity in there.
0: And that whole girl with the dick syndrome. I mean yeah. Blair was God the Sentinel was so toxic for this. It was awful. I also probably I think that it probably happened in SG one. I I remember um as far as like Daniel Jackson goes, because Daniel Jackson, you know, was portrayed as being more sensitive on the show.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the character that's perceived as being more sensitive is often the one that they, you know, will tend to, quote unquote, feminize and as to being the bottom. But it's just, but the question, the thing is, you can't, you never know for sure if that's what somebody's doing, right? All you can do is guess.
0: Unless they have them crying a lot, throwing fits, being really immature, then you know they're riding a a man as how they perceive to be a woman. Yeah. Which is disgusting. Yeah. I remember reading an NCIS fic where Tony bursts in the tears in the middle of sex.
1: With kids. Not, that you, not that you can have your character crying when they have sex, but you know, it's just... But
0: if you, you do gotta, have you your gotta, character sob you gotta, ugly cry during sex, it would be great if the other person who's having sex with them stopped yeah, definitely.
1: But you, you gotta, but I always say when you, when it comes to characters, especially characters that work in a field where they carry a gun, um, they have to be able to emotionally regulate, otherwise they wouldn't be able to get carry a gun. Um, emotional regulation is a thing for adults. and uh, which is why you have to work a little bit for the crying. gotta work for it you know you can't just be something that's happening constantly because a character you know who's showing themselves to not be able to handle their emotions isn't going to get certified to be in the field right i stopped reading that fic
0: obviously for obvious reasons um i i I get crying during sex i've done it but if you're ugly crying during sex there's a problem something's going on you need to stop There, there needs to be a halt to the procedure
1: Right, there needs to be a stop, and you need to stop and reassess. There needs to be a talk. I mean, I've had somebody start crying during sex. It's it's always disconcerting. It's like, oh my god, I, mean, I don't say it this way, but internally I'm going, oh my god, why are you crying?
0: <laughs> We're supposed to be having a good time.
1: Oh my god, why are you crying? <laughs> I would say there's no crying in the dungeon, but that's actually not true. Um, <laughs> did I give you permission to cry? <laughs> this is not the way we did not negotiate crying I didn't, man i always leave that out Shit. <laughs> actually i think i've mentioned before but I, I actually have a certification in massage therapy it was a blip i went through in my 20s i was like thinking i was gonna find a new career i was gonna give up being a program manager and i was gonna <laughs> just rub people for the rest of my life i can't explain where my head went with that but it was a thing so i was taking you know um classes in 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 massage therapy and body work and stuff in the evenings for you know a while anyway so um in doing part of your training is you have to do x number of massages to receive your certification it's not particularly hard to get people to volunteer for free massages it's actually shockingly easy (laughs) the hard part is finding people you're willing to give massages to it's like right "Mm, who am i going to ask um i had two people start crying during massages. <laughs> I mean just burst into tears. I was like okay. Well, first time it happened I didn't have any idea what to do. I mean I try, I think I handled it okay, but then I went to talk to my teacher about what happened. It basically was, well, apparently one of the things that I had asked my instructor to show me how to do was abdominal massage and apparently it's not uncommon. She didn't tell me this. It's not uncommon with abdominal massage for people to start crying. Um wish I'd known. <laughs> So, um, after the first time, you know, I asked her, like, what should I do when people start crying? She goes, oh, you must have done it well. I was like, I guess. And she walked me through how to handle it when somebody's crying. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. But you don't keep going. That's one of the things you don't keep doing is you you back off and let them have their moment and kind of give them some space. But it was very disconcerting. So people who just keep going during a moment when somebody's bursting into tears, I don't get that because I've never, I mean, I always kind of freeze up. It's like,
0: well, it indicates a level of selfishness that I want nothing to do with. Right. When you brought that up, I was reminded of a friend who schedules um, up until the pandemic, regular massages. And she called me recently, and she says, I haven't had a massage in a year and a half. I was like, it must be really difficult. She says, yeah, it's really difficult. She says, I just don't know what to do with myself. And I was like, I got to thinking about it. I said, you're not, um, I said, I don't mean. You're not paying for a happy ending, right? <laughs> and she got really tickled. She said, I have never found one that offered that, but I would be tempted. But then she said, she got real honest with me, and she said that one of the reasons why she schedules massages regularly um, is because she gets skin hungry and likes to be touched because she's single. She's just not sexual, but then she also said that she probably would pay for it if she could um,
1: because she just likes a man to put his hands on her. Uh, I mean, I, I, even the pandemic, I didn't stop with that, but I don't get like normal relaxing massages. I go into a clinic. It's not even a massage place. It's a, they have specially trained therapeutic massages because the back Mm. problem I have causes muscle dysfunction and especially my one leg more so than the other. And the muscles seize up. And so I have to go get somebody, basically shove her elbow in my ass for like 45 minutes until I'm so sore that I can barely move for two days afterwards. So I still had to keep doing that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be walking. But um, that's a very different kind of massage than the, the relaxing sort of oh, therapeutic massage. I call it torture massage.
0: Yeah, I only ever had one deep tissue massage. I could barely move afterwards. Never again. Never. I don't care. I did enjoy physical therapy, um, but mostly because of the acupuncture. I thought acupuncture very therapeutic for me. So I should have acupuncture- like investigate an
1: acupuncture. I thought acupuncture was really good too. I liked acupuncture. Um actually I mean, probably it was really be beneficial. Yeah. I probably should again. there were some areas though that I just did not tolerate well then put like he put needles in my ears. and I'd be like, no, 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 get those out. He'd get them in for like three seconds, I'd make him take them out, which is funny because I've had a lot of ear piercings, but I could not tolerate him putting needles in my ears.
0: So but oh she actually would still be going to the massage therapy thing, but he closed his practice during the pandemic. I think I because know, it, he had a vulnerable member in his family or something, or his kid. But, yeah, so, and, that, well, I, and she's, and he was the only one she was willing to go to,
1: so. I mean, I learned quick, it's, it's you can't really keep your mask on. I can't, I can't handle it being face down with the mask on. But she has a setup, the way she sets it up and stuff, it's, she makes it really safe for herself. But, like, if, if you if you flip over, you put your mask back on, but it's, um... Yeah, I mean, if I if I was doing that job and I had somebody vulnerable in my family, I would not, I wouldn't keep doing it. So, but I do wonder how people get massages just for that human interaction. There probably are a fair number. Um, there probably are a fair number. Oh, ladies, here's a tip for you. If you've got big boobs, I was talking to... Um, massage therapist one day because we talk with therapeutic massages with relaxing massages i don't like to talk therapeutic massages i need something to take my mind off the fact that she's killing me but anyway um (laughs) so we talk and i was telling her she was talking about um that it's just really hard for me to stay on my stomach for so long because my boobs hurt right i got big boobs it's hard to be on my boobs for that long because it's not really being on my stomach it's being on my tits right she says well you want me to use the cushion? And I said, What's the cushion? Wait, what's the cushion? I, I don't know what the cushion is. And um, they have this cushion they have for pregnant women that's got a big cutout for the belly and a big cutout for the boobs. And you lay on it instead of flat on the table. And she just stuffs the belly section with a pillow. And then I just am laying there on this cushion with my boobs in this cutout. And I was like, This is the best thing ever. <laughs> There's no pressure. On, there was no pressure on my tits for the whole hour. It was just glorious. I need so the she, cushion. I need the cushion. So I went in the next time and she forgot the next time she had forgotten it. And I was at the table. There's no cushion. I go, where's the cushion? And I just was so wounded. She goes, oh, I forgot. Okay. She goes, so you want it? And I go, I don't ever want another massage without the cushion. Get me the pregnancy cushion.
0: My chiropractor has a table designed for pregnant women, and he also uses it for women who have large breasts because there's a he can put down part of the table so that it isn't putting a lot of pressure on the breast when he's doing back adjustments. I was like, "You're a rock star." Because <laughs> that's always the worst part when they're doing a shoulder adjustments because it's pressing your breast on into the table. It's awful.
1: Well, my massage that, that, that does look never, super comfortable, actually. My massage therapist has never had a, a boob pillow. There probably is just a boob pillow out there, but they never had a boob pillow. I will take the pregnancy pillow because you can see you've got the thing to put in place of the belly right there. Um, mm-hmm. They got the cushion that they can fill the belly pocket for, you know, for big breasted women. It is so much more comfortable than just laying on your boobs on a hard table. I can't even, with, the, with it, like, I can't even. It may look like a screaming face. It does look like a face from Scream. Um, (laughs) But I'm telling you, if you've got big breasts, or maybe if you've got a big belly, and you just, I mean, just own it. Just go in and go, hey, I got the big belly. I want the pregnancy pillow. We'll stuff the boob compartment. (laughs) Just, Just own it. Get comfy. You're paying for that massage. Feel better. The pillows I'm just so you don't have
0: to. Yeah, I totally agree.
1: I'm just pissed off that it was like, you know, 25 years into getting massages. And this is like the first year I've had a boob pillow.
0: <laughs> or is it the, a note in my chart? I need the boob pillow.
1: Or is it the boob unpillow? pillow <laughs> Sort of the opposite of the boob pillows. I just, it was like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> the girls are so happy. It makes
0: sense they would have something for pregnant women
1: i mean yeah yeah i mean when i the lady i trained with for massage she specialized in sideline for massage for for pregnant people that's really com- the draping for sideline is really complicated and you have to have special bolsters and stuff i'd rather just have a pillow like that not that sideline massage is it actually the sideline massage is great for hips and it, uh, is for me the best decision to get to your it band but it is a really complicated draping but it's hard to maintain the modesty when you're on your side. Speaking like that. of
0: massage, is it canon that Buck has training as a massage therapist? No, because I no. see it often in Vic. Like he has some kind of training in it, and I was like,
1: but I see it a lot, really, because I've never seen it before. I, I hadn't. I've never actually never seen it, so I haven't run across those FICs where I've seen it. But he looks like he's got good hands for it, which is why it crossed my mind that he would. Um. um
0: I mean, I've seen it probably, I mean, I've seen it enough that it stood out as something that I wanted to question is whether or not it was canon. Like, he did travel in South America, right?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Okay.
1: Um, He did a bunch of traveling, which we knew about Peru, but we did not know about the, um, he wasn't a SEAL. Yeah, but
0: she's saying she's seen fixed where he was a SEAL. But, yeah, he, but...
1: The- some of the AUs, he was a SEAL or just the SEAL stuff is so wrong in them. It's so off that um, it's shockingly, shockingly off. Like, I read At I, his I,
0: age, if he was a SEAL, he'd probably still be one unless he injured out. And then if he was that injured, he probably wouldn't qualify to be a firefighter.
1: Yeah, they're not going to invest the amount of money they'd have to, time and money they would have to invest in him because 27, when the show now he would have been 20 26 when the show started
0: unless he lost an organ um because you can't be active duty if you lose an off the kidney if, if you have only had one functioning kidney
1: um, I, but I'm not sure you can be a firefighter if you only have one functioning kidney I mean if you can pass the stuff why not no firefighters house they have rules about certain things it's that are that are kind of odd well probably because of some of the things they exposed and whatever like if you only had um, it depends on the department. Each department has their own rules. Mm-hmm. I know that if you've had a bunch of um, shoulder dislocations, like more than one or two, most firefighter, most departments won't take you, um, which is a weird like quirk. Um,
0: well, it can happen. There are circumstances where you can enter the Navy just for the sole purpose of trying out for the SEALs. I mean, there there is a process for doing that. Um, there's also a process for trying out for the SEALs when you're already in the Navy. But so that's. That's possible. Um, it's unlikely, but it's possible. There, There is a process for it. But I do think that if he'd been a SEAL, he'd still be a SEAL. Like I said, unless he invalidated out for some reason or another. And then maybe he wouldn't qualify to be a firefighter. Depending on how he was. I did read the start of one where him and Eddie were married and he was still active duty Navy and Eddie was out of the Army. That's not going to go down well. Navy and Army together—that's <laughs> an Army-Navy game waiting to happen. um But and but then Buck comes home on leave, and he goes to Christopher's school it's with him to pick him up, and Christopher's so excited to see him; it was adorable. But it's a work in progress. And I swore to myself when I got into this fandom that I would not read works in progress. And what do I do? I read works in
1: progress because that's just happens when you run out of stuff f- to read. i found prey to it a couple of times. So, every every department has their own, with firefighters, every department has their own, um, like, list of disqualifying things. And um, it's usually, like, a long list. Like, in general, there's, like, this general thing. Oh, you have to be in good condition, and you can't be on anything where you have, like, you can't have any kind of heart condition, have poorly managed diabetes, or be taking steroids, or blah 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 but when you get into the actual individual departments they'll have like a pdf that has all of their requirements for being a firefighter and it usually is like so long and some of them have like very specific things like um like one of the ones i read it was like it said something like you cannot have had more than one non-surgically corrected shoulder dislocation which was it was just quirky but then i thought well if your shoulder is prone to being dislocated that would probably be a really bad thing for a firefighter to just you know, you're you're got somebody in a fireman's carry and your shoulder dislocates. That'd be bad. But anyway, um, anyway, so there are, um, and you know, I could never be a firefighter even if I was a lot younger because you actually have to be able to smell to be a firefighter. That's an actual thing. Actual paramedic training? No, that doesn't. Are you mean EMT training, Misha Day? Do you mean EMT training? Because California, you have to be an EMT, but paramedic training is like 1600 to 2000 hours on top of being the firefighter training. That's a lot of that's a lot of um, it's a lot to put on somebody to make that for a firefighter. Some states don't require EMT training. So some firefighters don't have EMT training, which is actually seems sort of short sighted to me because. um, So
0: technically, Buck has to have EMT training as well.
1: He, he, he absolutely, all of them are EMTs and I have to be in 91. but apparently they're not all EMTs on Lone Star, which I think is a little quirky. Well, there's different levels of EMT training. So they might be require them. So like, um, and Eddie is a combat medic, medic, he would be an EMT plus the army then trains them on specific combat procedures they want to be able to do. So he's less qualified than a paramedic, but he's more qualified than a standard EMT. Um,
0: Oh, speaking of which, I was reading
1: a fic and it was a really short one.
0: And the author, instead of saying medic, they said doctor. Well, that's jarringly wrong. I'm an army doctor, and I was like, mm, that's not mm, a- inaccurate.
1: Well, that, well, but some of them, some of them volunteered. It could be Owen could have just vol. I mean, I agree that it did seem like it could have been either way, though. I, I don't know which. I don't know if they were not, you know. There's this horrible. A racist old lady who um, who wanted the the Latino neighbors arrested for basically cooking because they're cooking Latino food, and um, she wanted their their basically their barbecue pit put out. And so they wanted. So Owen said he was going to arrest, make a citizen's arrest for making nuisance calls to nine one one. This is in Lone Star, obviously. Um, yeah, it was barbacoa, but I don't know if everybody knows what barbacoa. Was, so that's why I didn't use the term um so owen says he was not certified oh, because
0: of chipotle. <laughs> yes
1: you, you, <laughs> you know what it is because of chipotle but anyway um it's delicious <laughs> but they wanted her the, the barbacoa put out so she wanted to put out so anyway he said he's going to arrest her and she starts faking a heart attack and and um tk says that we can't transport her to, we can't arrest her if she's having a heart attack. So she might need mouth to mouth or CPR or something. And Owen's like, I'm not certified to to do that. He kind of holds his hands up and Judd says, she looks to Judd and he's like, nope, nope, nope. And um, she doesn't want Chavez to help because Chavez is obviously Latino. So she looks to, to Paul. Um, or she looks to, oh, first she looks to TK and TK says, well, ma'am, I can help you, but I am, um, I am a homosexual. And she's like, oh, if she so she looks. She doesn't want. She doesn't want. She doesn't want Marjan touching her at all because Marjan's obviously um, Muslim. So she, or she's obviously, well, she's not obviously Muslim. But she's obviously um, um, of some Middle Eastern descent. So yeah, you know, she probably assumes she's Muslim. Well, she's wearing, she's wearing the hijab. So I don't know. I, I, it, it, she's making inferences about Marjan from looking at her. So she then looks to Paul. Paul. Paul is a, is a black man. She looks to Paul and she goes, You can do it. And Paul kneels in goes, Yes, I can. And he goes, I, she, she goes, You're not homosexual, are you? And he goes, No, ma'am. He says, But I am trans. <laughs> and yeah. she goes, Take me to jail. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst Karen day ever. <laughs> It was great. It was a great episode. It was in season one. It was one of the early episodes in season one where they all go out to this call and she's just so awful. So I'm not sure if they were, if Judd and Owen were saying they weren't certified to give her CPR because they aren't EMTs or if they were just, it's really not clear. Cause I don't think we see Judd or Owen give anybody CPR, do we? So it, it's, it's, Yeah, I don't think we ever do. So it's not ever clear if they've got any kind of EMT certification.
0: But clearly she didn't actually need CPR since she was capable of conversation. Well, no, she clearly didn't need
1: CPR. The old racist. Google, Kale says Google says you need to be an EMT to be a firefighter in Texas. So these are states have requirements and then individual departments that can have additional requirements. Um. But I, so California and Texas both require you to be an EMT, which would allow them to give basic first aid at least and give CPR, and and then they are trained to use the um, the automated automatic the automated defibrillator and all that kind of stuff. So, well, that's true. Well, the show writers may actually not know what the requirements are, but because, we yeah, s- they don't look. Yeah, <laughs> but we do see all of the characters. I'm pretty sure we've seen all of the characters on 911 giving CPR. So um I mean we see buck helping give deliver a baby so um anyway I think emt training is about 150 hours something like that 120 150 okay, it's it's like a tenth the 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 duration of time as um well it depends upon how you how you get the how you get your emt training some people may take it in a more concentrated course anyway uh, how did we get here 911 yeah, it's I all know. the right is on the brain. We is have to being in a new
0: fandom and and writing and but there is also there there is a factor in 911 that does have me hesitating to write them on the job, and that is medical knowledge. I have zero.
1: Well, I don't think you actually need a ton of medical knowledge because the show actually stops at the door of the hospital, right? So you could stop your show, your story, most of the most part of the door of the hospital. So it's about, maybe more about, can you write disaster scenes? And you just gloss over the bits. I don't really know much about gator wrestling. I still wrote it. <laughs> true, true. You did. I don't know much at all about putting my dick in a toaster um, <laughs> or getting it out. I still wrote it. I mean, this is true. I That's don't, true. I, I
0: know a lot about fucking somebody with a dick because I don't actually have one, but I write it all the time. But there is a difference between that and making up medical information on the fly. <laughs> I'll be like overall, on Wikipedia. Okay. If someone's in a
1: car well, accident. <laughs> but Starlight Starlight points out that if you don't write from Chimmer or Henn's POV, you're kind of then more writing from the POV front of the, the EMTs, which is a lot less medical training. So... You know, you don't need to. They're not going to like one of the big differences is like Buck can't be putting in an IV. He's not going to be doing that. He's not he's not certified to do it. You don't have to worry about that side of it. He just hands. He just you have to get people out of the cars. You know, out of their crash cars and put out fires, and then he passes the people off to the par- to the paramedics to deal with. I actually appreciate that the characters I'm fixated on are not the paramedics because it does right. It does lighten the load. Um,
0: but I do think that my my hangups in particular fandoms are about issues like that. So I do tend to gloss over like the science in um, Stargate. I do gloss over, I would gloss over um, actual cooking of gourmet meals in um, Hannibal. Whereas they would probably eat the food. I probably would not be talking about Hannibal cooking it, you
1: know, Um it- For me, it would be a lot more than, like, the prep. I mean, the things he goes through to prep for the food, that's just way more research than I want to get into. Um, And also considering what he preps, we will not be discussing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, yeah, any of the science, even the comic book science to a degree, I'll do some level of research so I can kind of speak in general terms and get my terminology generally right. But i don't want to like i'm not going to try to like delve deep and sometimes when i see people delving deep in like medical terminology i'm assuming they're speaking from a level a place of um expertise and then i read a little bit more and realize that they're not and then i'm like oh why did you fake it you should have just you should have glossed over glossing over is the better choice (laughs) it's a way better choice than getting it drastically wrong but you know
0: well, there's a difference between Hannibal on the TV show and Hannibal Lecter in the movies and books, Bri. So, um, in the move in the, in the show, he's, he, he leans more towards French cuisine, I think. Yeah. That's the lean, but not the total. Um, there's actually a Hannibal cookbook. Uh, so in, in, in writing Hannibal, I would lean towards Hannibal, uh, French cooking, which is why I brought Julia Child. Uh, it's beautiful. We can't discuss the main ingredient in Hannibal without a war- without a warning. <laughs> I don't even think he's gotten. Well, he he mentioned Silence of the Lambs earlier, so I do think he knows what Hannibal was in jail for in that movie. So we'll just go from there. Um, but the T but TV show is vastly different, and you can watch the TV show on Netflix. But don't watch it by yourself,
1: yeah. I mean, you could maybe get through the first couple episodes on your own, but after that,
0: just he's incredibly sheltered. So I so I feel like he needs supervision <laughs> <laughs> to watch Hannibal. <laughs> just saying, sweetheart, just saying. Um, I felt like I needed supervision through some of those episodes. <laughs> Behold my head having nightmares about deer and field kabuki. <laughs> What is an EMR?
1: Buck, Buck is not an EMR because California requires people to be EMTs. I believe that's California law.
0: The show could have taken dramatic license.
1: Oh, you've not watched Signs of the
0: Lambs yet? Um, I'm on the fence about whether or not you should watch that before you watch the TV series. I would say no, no, because they're because they're very different animals.
1: Okay. Yes, LAFD. You can't you can't even becoming an LA a firefighter in the LAFD. The first step is to become an EMT
0: yourself in the show read that um no <laughs> no it doesn't matter where you start with hannibal n- none of it's tame sweetheart he's a cannibal <laughs> it's just it's, i mean when i i started with red dragon the movie um then i watched Silence of the lambs and then i watched hannibal rising and then I, wait no there's no there's one in between that manhunter
1: and hunter's first manhunter
0: Manhunter was the first. Manhunter
1: Red Dragon, Sounds of the Lambs. Uh, no, Manhunter sounds the way they go in order is, Red Dragon's kind of a remake of Manhunter, right? I think so. So that, but that came after Sounds of the Lambs. Okay. I actually personally wouldn't watch. I I don't really. I find Red Dragon kind of whatever that whatever the remake of Manhunter was would be a throwaway. I like the original better.
0: Yeah. What? Well, yeah. Uh, Manhunter, Sounds of the Lambs, and then Hannibal Rising but don't watch the the Hannibal movie just Hannibal yeah no with Julianne Moore skip that one um and then but the TV series is like an AU it's like fan the, the TV series is literally fan fiction for Silence of the Lambs <laughs> or Manhunter actually it's so, it's yeah it's 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 Manhunter fan fiction oh nick it'll be fine
1: it'll be fine it is gory but it's brilliant of course, is the, time, the chronological timeline is Hannibal Rising, Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs, and Hannibal. Red Dragon is a retelling, a remake of Manhunter, which was the first movie made. Um,
0: yeah. I, but- I think
1: I think the two best movies are Manhunter and Silence of the Lamb. I personally could give everything else a skip. Um, if you're going to just watch two, it would be Manhunter. Manhunter actually isn't all that gory. It's a lot more no. suspense than gore. And it's got a different Hannibal. Um, Hannibal's not even as integral to the plot it's really much more about Will Graham it's an older Will Graham so it's I would watch Manhunter and Silence of the Lambs and then the TV show I would would willingly give the other three a skip
0: definitely skip Red Dragon and skip Hannibal with Julianne Moore I found Hannibal Rising really interesting I would not watch it in chronological order no I agree I would watch it in like I would watch I would watch Manhunter, Sons of the Lambs, and then Hannibal Rising, because Hannibal Rising is like the backstory. And like, yes, chronologically it comes um, it should come first, but I think that watching it last provides you with a richer experience. Yeah, it's like filling in his his backstory later. So I feel like yeah that you should watch it last if you watch it at all. Um, uh, Manhunter, Sons of the Lambs, and then Hannibal Rising. Um, because i i feel like coming into hannibal rising without the background of the other two sh- movies is i would i would think it'd be less satisfying personally uh, but you could skip hannibal rising altogether if you found the if if you find that manhunter and silence of the lambs are too much for you definitely skip hannibal rising and do not watch the tv show <laughs> because it only gets worse
1: progressively manhunter being the less of the manhunter is really tame compared to the rest um but the emotional payoff for there's a huge emotional payoff in the tv show that you don't get in the movies for all the gore and the and and the awfulness yeah so it's it's really it's a really different experience frankly the tv show is sexy as hell yeah, but it is—it is—it is really tough to take in ways that the movies are not.
0: Yeah, it is sexy. It is provocative. It is disgusting. It is um, artful and hurtful and suspenseful
1: it is, and. From a cinematography perspective, it is masterful. I mean, it is just masterful. Yeah,
0: and the acting is delicious. Oh God, look at him. <laughs> Wow, I i don't know if I had that picture. I have to save it. I probably have ten copies of this picture. That's okay though.
1: I think this is when he's in. This is season three. Yeah, when he's in Europe,
0: right? Yeah, who did give him permission to look like that? It's ridiculous. <laughs> but anyways, um, but a fandom like Hannibal can can be very intimidating. There's a lot of talented writers in it. There's a lot of um, content in it that is. Integral to the characterization, that can be difficult to write. Um, it's true in a lot of fandoms, but in particularly in Hannibal, it's it could be a stumbling block that you can't get past. Yeah,
1: and you know we can't really get into the the wheres, whys, and what fors, but you know some of my I was in the middle of writing something in Hannibal when we got an email from somebody expressing their deep disappointment in us. Um, that sort of really threw me, honestly, in ways I didn't expect. <laughs> It pissed me off. Yeah, it did it, it did piss me off, but it kind of, it, it also really threw me. Um, I get that they were triggered. I get that they were really upset. But the thing is, once they realized the conversation was about Hannibal and considering that they're a deep trigger of the subject matter, I don't know why they kept listening to that podcast. The podcast
0: was literally called Leaning Into Hannibal.
1: I Yeah. So I don't know why they were listening to it. And it just, it, it kind of infuriates me that they listened to that podcast long enough to get triggered, that triggered by the content such that they had to unload in that way.
0: It was horrifying. It was horrible. Um, she all but accused us of cannibalism.
1: Fetishizing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um especially you know and, and called us hypocrites that was I think that was the hard, the harder part for me is that all of our talks about body autonomy and um, consent issues and that's really important and that it's basically called' us hypocrites for um the I won't get into the why because it was it could be potentially triggering and we didn't we don't have a warning on this podcast but it, it's just one of those things that you know sometimes you just hear from somebody and it's just like and it wasn't about my writing it was about the podcast and things we talked about. And again, I don't know why somebody with a trigger around cannibalism would listen to that podcast. I can't I can't get past that. Oh. There's that.
0: It was it was it was a very frustrating experience. Um and you know, it you know, it's not my job to manage the emotions of other people. So if my work makes you uncomfortable, don't read it. And if my podcast makes you uncomfortable, don't listen to it
1: if my opinions offend you ignore them one of these days we probably will get around it has been requested repeatedly that we have a, a podcast just about bdsm um and the reason we haven't done it
0: is i don't look forward to the emails
1: yeah and <laughs> and there will be emails there will be people who will not who know they don't like the subject matter who will listen to it anyway and will have something to say about it she's given me lesbianism she gave me lesbianism a long time ago.
0: <laughs> Jillian Anderson is just fucking gorgeous. It doesn't make any sense <laughs> to be that attractive. Wow. I mean she doesn't give me lesbianism the way that Ruby Rose does, but it's, she's pretty close. <laughs>
1: Actually she gives me lesbian way more. I mean, I just uh yeah. Jillian Anderson. Gillian Anderson's my like just my unicorn in that way. Oh dark, maybe in your next life. (laughs) Keep it on
0: tap. It might come back. Give me lives yet to live if you believe in that. Wouldn't it be weird to have like if reincarnation is a thing and you have like sex memories of from previous reincarnations incarnations? Wouldn't that be weird? That'd be super weird.
1: I don't think I'd want that.
0: Um, well, I don't know if it, I don't know if I'd be traumatized because they would always be with you. I'm like, I mean, I guess there would be a point when you would remember them. And it was just part of
1: who you were. Well, no, I don't think it'd be traumatic. I don't think, but it's just be like, I mean, they get to talking about sex with somebody, and you talk about something you did, and they're like, "Wait a minute, when did you do that?" You're like, "Oh, wait a minute, sorry, that huh. was that was four lifetimes ago." Oh, I think it was 1200 AD. <laughs> Headcanon accepted, Susan. I, I agree. Jillian Anderson is this generation. Her generation's Helen Mirren. I, I will accept this. Just gorgeous. Um, uh, it,
0: you know, it's because people are always talking about you know, like with people people who do talk about reincarnation dreams or, or reincarnation memories. It's it's never any you know. It's always weird shit. <laughs> not like <laughs> everyday shit. <laughs> like you would not believe how many times I have washed things in a creek thousands I've watched thousands of pieces of, of clothes in the Greek
1: it's always about people, being well, some queen. yeah people are always yeah they're always somebody like fascinating right it's like always Alexander the Great or um, although I don't think anybody I've I don't think I've ever read a story where anybody was reincarnated that claimed that they were Jesus or something um, that'd be weird <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's never the peasant oh yeah I was a peasant a peasant who did what I just a peasant just your average run of the mill peasant who was, who died before their time, which at, at that at, in that at that point in history was about the age of fourteen,
0: or that heifer who says they were born in the wrong time. No, honey, you weren't. You really were not. Oh, I really felt I should, you know, be in 15th century France when they didn't take baths, <laughs> but like once a month because it was like taboo. When they w- when they wore big giant powdered wigs and birds in birds and cages.
1: I mean, if you were reincarnated, in, let's say you're only reincarnated along your own family line. Well, I hate to break it to y'all, but I would not have been a, I would not have been a peasant. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. I've still been a slut, though.
0: <laughs> I was drinking! I hurt my nose, oh my god. <sighs> the first profession... I might have been a hoe. That's possible. That's possible. <laughs> for fun and profit. <laughs> yeah, because medicine. Dental. I mean, just for the dental alone. <laughs> it's like mean, a lot of the dentists used to be barbers. Or barbers used to be dentists. Whatever.
1: Well, should we end the podcast? We could keep yapping. but yeah, That way you have less to edit.
0: <laughs> but I, I feel like um, that if you are struggling to find your place In fandom, that the best thing you can do is to find yourself um, a writing group where the fandoms you write in don't matter. And then you don't have to worry about fitting into some kind of
1: group think that doesn't work for you. Just always, they're just accepting. I mean, and like when it comes to like the anime thing, I mean, I would say that the people who, um, going back to like the group that's been around, For as long as I've been around, uh, which is going back to 2013 or so, there's always been a a section of the group that's always been people who were into anime. So, I mean, it's always been a staple part of the culture of this writing group, that there are people who who write anime. Um, It's not where I ever went because, um, as, as Dark pointed out, I'm a little literal for that. I've never watched anime. I think I, my
0: husband is a real big fan of Ranma, um, one and a half, a half half, Ranma and a half, Ranma half. He, he's a big fan. So that's the only exposure I've ever had to, um, anime. Um, and he used to play it a lot when I was trying to write, so it, I, I, I found it really annoying. <laughs> but I think it's just, you know, you need to have, have central, um, writing groups that are not siloed because siloed groups, whether it's as a reader, as just as a general fandom, or as a writer, causes stagnation. You want to be inspired, and you want to be—I want to be inspired, and I want to be encouraged and um, motivated and challenged. And if everybody around you is doing the same damn thing, you're not going to be challenged. This is my personal opinion.
1: No, I agree with you. And you don't all want, and the thing, I like that there's, when there's diverse things around me. I like when there are people working on different things or when the writers, I, I mean, sometimes I get into new fandoms through the writers that I like, that I follow, that try new things. Sometimes I read the new thing and I go, mm, it doesn't work for me. And sometimes I read the new thing and I go, oh, what is this? I let me, ch- this. I let me check this out.
0: Let me go um, binge watch six seasons of this on
1: Netflix. <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, I think a lot of people got into Criminal Minds that way. I mean, I think Criminal Minds had a little bit of a, they, they took, they, they were fine, but I think a lot of people took off that took off a lot because Criminal Mind picked up a lot of crossovers from other contemporary dramas mm-hmm. and crime dramas and stuff. And a lot of people got into, because it was really accessible, the characters were very accessible through crossover. People were like, what is this show? I'll go read the show. I'll go watch the show about profilers and, you know, people are watching Criminal Minds. So, um, And you can binge watch that whole series on Netflix. (laughs) Yeah. So, and there's a fair number of people who started reading um, NCIS, watching NCIS, because, which I I apologize for anybody who started watching NCIS because of me, but there are um, people who started watching NCIS because of of crossover or because an an author they really liked because, I mean, the people, I I can't only imagine the people who were following um, like Lady Ra when she was writing Sentinel and Stargate and stuff, and she starts writing in NCIS, they probably went, what is this show? Maybe I'll check well, that shit.
0: out. Now I had to go, oh look, it's Mark Harmon. Okay.
1: <laughs> and that was early. That was early enough in NCIS that it wasn't objectionable. Um, you know, but when when you know the person who you think um, like literally walks on water or starts writing a new fandom, you go, maybe I should pay attention to what's going on over there. <laughs> um you'd be like, damn it, Lady Raw, I don't
0: have time for okay, fine, fine. How many seasons is
1: it? <laughs> 18, 18. How many are good? Oh, two? Okay, I can deal with that. <laughs> are you
0: really capricious? We're not mad at you. We would never have gotten, what's that? McCavity?
1: McCavity, yeah. We got McCavity. Actually, I love Lady Raw's NCIS fiction. It's some of my favorite. Um, and Nick so, stopped. Thank Look you. At Nick... Look at Nick stopping watching NCIS because he didn't want to ruin emergence with <laughs> Canon. <laughs> That's charming, darling. But also a good idea because it, it gets really abusive. Oh, <laughs> so. look what I did to Elena. The same thing you did to me. E! <laughs> Fox, you're welcome. I Don't be harsh on fanfic. <laughs> you guys get new viewers because of fanfiction, so you should just be grateful.
0: I have decided I'm going to skip the lawsuit episode
1: and the one after it.
0: <laughs> so if I'm going to miss anything important, you need to let me know. <laughs>
1: um you actually need to watch the episode after the lawsuit because the whole arc the whole halloween arc with the with the lady who hits the guy who's in the car for a day you need to see that Mm -hmm. okay okay yeah i thought i thought that whole thing with the guy in the car was was both sort of appalling and bizarre and fascinating the whole thing about it it was like what like she hits him in the car and leaves him in the windshield
0: yeah because because that really happened
1: yeah, it's on Halloween. People and people keep seeing it, thinking it's a Halloween decoration. She got a severe brain injury, and she doesn't realize she can't see him. She literally can't oh, see him. Oh, she didn't do it on purpose. No, no, no. She got in an accident. She it got is, somebody else. Somebody else. Realize it was
0: on purpose.
1: No, oh, in her case, somebody else caused the accident, and um, she got a severe brain injury, and. um Buck's the one who sees her after he gets off duty. He sees her, drives to her. She, he's at the, he's at, it's the day after Halloween. It's it's November 1st. And he's, he's at the gas station and he sees this body in a, in a windshield. He's just shaking his head like people are such idiots. Right. And then the guy moves and he's like, whoa. And she's getting in the car. He takes off after her and pulls her over and, he's like ma'am are you okay are you okay she's got this huge bump on her heads and it bucks the person who saves both of them it's good
0: okay i'll watch that
1: one but i'm skipping the stupid lawsuit you can skip the stupid lawsuit i thought i think she gets hit at the very end of that episode i think the, i think the accident happens at the end of that episode i'm going to fast forward through some shit then i'll i'll, I'll <laughs> get i'll get you i'll get you the time stamp of where you need to go you just tell me when you're ready it's the one after the lot I think it's called Mon- monster, monstrous, or something like that, or monsters. Monsters. Thanks, Elena.
0: Yeah, monsters is next. I think for me,
1: that's the episode after the. Oh, the okay. Lawsuit. That's not... So lawsuit is next. The fucking family had the kids. Oh, the family and the kids. That is a rough thing. Yeah, I, I do like to block that out in the Halloween episode. It's horrible, but there is a very triggery thing that happens there. Yeah. Oh, we're still recording.
0: Okay. okay. So, anyways, thank you guys for joining us. And we really appreciate it. And um, we hope you have a good night. Uh, say good night, Julie.
1: Good night, everyone.